everybody, and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, a movie podcast. I'm Autumn, I'm joined as always by Nia. Hi, I'm Nia. And I watched too many movies. Yeah. Too many movies. Luckily, we're going to get through three and a half of these very quick. I want to pause on one of these and let you interject if you have thoughts about it. Okay. But... So I watched Tremors 2, Aftershocks. That movie's pretty good. I talked about it on Export Audio. You can go to exportaudio slash exportaudio to hear me talk about it. On that same episode, you can hear me talk about Tremors 3, Back to Perfection. That movie sucks shit. <laughs> you mean they don't go back to perfection? They do not go back to perfection. I mean, they go back to the town, Perfection, Nirvana, as, as some co-hosts of mine might say, Nirvana. <laughs> the look on your face. <laughs> You'll hear it on the show. It's funny. Um, uh, God's in his heaven. All's right with Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so, so Nora and I recorded, Nora and I watched um, Tremors 2 and Tremors 3 earlier this week. We recorded an export about it this morning. After recording that export, we went and watched Despicable Me 3. And recorded a pop town about that. That's out now for $5 patrons, exportodd.io. I assume that you loved the movie Despicable Me 3. Um, you love I, those little minions, they're your funny little guys. You don't. You haven't listened to Pop Town yet, right? No. I'm going to tell you something that's going to... You're going to say, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> the, min, the minions are the best part of that movie. No, I believe that. <laughs> That, that, movie, is, that doesn't mean that the minions are good. That movie is better than Toy Story 4, but still pretty fucking bad. Yeah. Um, I forgot to put Toy Story 4 in my letterbox. I really got to get around to doing that. Um, And then Nora and I ha recorded our pop town about that today and had such a miserable time with it that it was only like 25 minutes long. And so Nora is like, Hey, why don't we just watch and record for our next Pop Town right now? Because the next Pop Town that we had was only a 60-minute movie. Um, it's not a movie. It says the motion picture right yeah. there. Blame ADV. <laughs> um, so we, we did two episodes of Pop Town in one day after doing an export. All of that was earlier today. And my, I, I woke up with my, my voice feeling a little hoarse. And so if by the end of this seven-hour podcast that we we're going to record tonight, um, if if I'm just totally falling apart, I apologize, everybody. <coughs> it's worse because I tried to get some water before we started the show, but I couldn't because the... Um, oh, yeah, you got to use the pitcher. Yeah, I di and I didn't want to bother, so... Yeah. Um... But yeah, so the last the last pop town I I did uh, earlier today was about tech in the motion picture, which you've seen before, Chris. Yeah, I mean a long time ago. But yeah, I, it was like one of. I'm sure there are others that are like in this, but I don't. It might even be one where it's like contested, but mm -hmm. could be. But it was like for sure one of the first Digi Paint shows. Yeah. Um, and it from what like... I remember, like yeah, you feel a Digi Paint. Yeah, you feel it. Yeah, it's it's. A, but it it was a two episode OVA, and then when uh, ADV brought it over, they thought it would make more sense to just stitch the two together and say it's a movie. I think that makes more sense. Yeah, 
At least for the American market, you know? Yeah, probably at the time. Yeah. Maybe it makes more sense than to say there's two episodes on this and it's the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> It's also very clear where episode one ends. Yeah. And, like, Nora was like, all right, let's pause it. I'm going to go run to the bathroom. You know, like, it's obvious and... Yeah. It's a, it gives you a nice little break halfway through. The your... thing that's funny to me is I can I can understand being like, oh, this is like Tekken, you know, mm-hmm. this is the Tekken anime. We're just going to release it as Tekken and we're going to do this thing where we stitch it together into a movie and we just say runtime 60 minutes and we're not talking about multiple episodes or kind of specifically doing the subtitle. The motion picture is so funny to me just because <laughs> it's not, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's a specific thing. So you told me right before we hit play, right before Nora and I hit play, that this was one of the first DigiPaint shows. So I was kind of keeping an eye out for it. There's a scene in the first 10 minutes where two of the bad guys are driving down the highway. And specifically what's happening is they're like, they're driving down the highway. It's nighttime. And so their faces are in shadow and they're chat, 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 and then they'll, like, drive under a street light, and, it, like, light will move across their face. And it felt so specifically, like, oh, this was a very hard thing to do in traditional cell animation that is now very easy to do in um, DigiPaint, that, like, to just, like, have the same thing but totally change the lighting on it. Yeah. Um, that I just felt like it's not a flashy shot. But it did feel like someone on the animation staff is like, by God, I want to do this thing that we couldn't do before. You know? Yeah. Um, I want to do this thing that I saw Utena do that I'm sure people like had to painstakingly animate. <laughs> yeah. With it, Utena, it may have involved like actual lights. Yeah. Like Utena is, as an animation, you become so aware of the the... So there are different ways that you can kind of do the different like parts of the, the you know, because mm. an animation camera is basically stuff is like sitting mm-hmm. and then the camera is pointed down at it. Mm. And there's a version where you have multiple levels of it. Um, and often you'll have them like on top of each other because you'll have the background and then the cell on top. But like the distance there, there are some where you can get quite a bit of distance. Um, and so Utena will do that where they'll put something way in the background and then way in the front so that they can actually do the rack focus between like different elements of mm-hmm. the animation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's done through like the camera in the process. And when you're doing it that, then you can change like, you're still going to have to probably painstakingly move or you're doing it on a static shot. If you're doing it on a motion shot, you have to, every shot you have to like animate the light itself moving. But if you have a stationary shot, you could actually just change the lighting. Uh, and so you're then you're just filming it. And you're like filming as you basically move the light. That makes sense. Or change the light. Huh. Um, but that would be the actual light on the cell. Yeah. So. Um, but... Also, I don't, I don't know if what I was explaining made sense to listeners. Because I was doing a lot of hand movements to, to try to convey stuff to you. So. But to take it back to tech in the motion picture, the other thing it really powerfully reminded me of that I don't think is going to play to you, um, it, it is it looked like that first season of Yu-Gi-Oh so bad, you know, not yeah, that... not 
Not Yu-Gi-Oh! Season Zero, the season yeah. that only came out in Japan, because that is cell animated. The first season of Yu-Gi-Oh! as it is released in America, aka, like, um... I kind of get what you mean, though. I'm looking at... Like, that... It, it, you Tekken the Motion Picture and, and Yu-Gi-Oh! as it exists as an American product just looks so similar to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... But I really, I really enjoyed Tech in the Motion Picture. I'm, I am a sucker for, um, you know, this is like it's it's Enter the Dragon. You know, um, it is. There's a martial arts tournament. Um, all the characters have different motivations. They go to the island on a creepy boat, and there's a fight on the boat. Um, you know, you know the formula. You've seen anime. Um, but it's only 60 minutes long, and so it's really fucking brisk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the American dub is, like, perfectly Y2K silly, you know? Um. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, perfect, like, needle drops of silly rap rock shit. Um, a lot of this I talk about on Pop Town, but I wanted to talk about it here, too, because I know you'd seen it, and so. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I'd also st- I've seen Tremors, like a number of them. I don't know which all, because this was also back in like high school. Okay, but I'm pretty sure I've seen at least one and two, and probably three, and maybe some beyond that. But so four is supposedly the best of the sequels, because yeah. four is the one. Just looking at the dates here, three is starting to get towards probably around when I was listening, um, or when I was watching. I mean. Tremors 4, and I don't recall when it came out, but Tremors 4 is the Old West prequel. Um, So people really like Tremors Mm. 4, from what I can tell. I think I did see that one. 2004. I think in theaters. Direct to video, so no, you didn't. No? Okay. I think (laughs) I I did see it, though. Um, Yes, I saw this one. This this, is probably the last one that I saw. Nora wants to watch... So after Tremors 4... um, they stopped making these for a while. They did make a TV show, and then in like 2015, they brought it, this the movies back. And so I know Nora wants to watch five, six, and seven, and I may get dragged along for it. But after Tremors four, my interest falls off. You know. Yeah. Also, it should be noted, Nora watched Tremors one without me, so I have not seen Tremors. <laughs> Tremors is good. <laughs> for like what these movies are, Tremor is good. Yeah, it looks good um, from from the like trailers and the clips that Nora showed me. I'm like that movie looks fun. Yeah, too bad I'm not gonna watch it. Uh, I've noticed in terms of stairwell ratings, uh, Tremors two F. There are very few uh, stairs in the uh, deserts of Mexico that you know. Yeah, with with sandworms underneath. Yeah. Uh, Tremors 3, F, very few stairs in the Mojave Desert. Despicable Me 3, D+, because they are nice-looking stairs, but they're in Despicable Me 3, so that's the highest you're gonna fucking get. Yeah. <laughs> also, they're not used well. They're just, they look nice. Um, and then Tech in the Motion Picture and F. I did not recall any stairs. Oh, I'm not gonna officially rate this, because I wasn't paying that much attention, but Nora was watching more, um... Fist of the North Star today. And there was a fucking sick-ass scene where Kenshiro gets to the evil villain's, like, palace. And 
In the center of his palace, there is a huge spiral staircase into the sky, basically. Like a like a Zetayunme Mokushiroku staircase. Yeah. Um, and the villain and his whole posse are fucking bailing. And so it's then just like one asshole who's like, I will defeat you, Kenshiro. Um <clears throat> hanging out like on this spiral staircase and they're going to have a duel in the next episode. Uh, if I watched enough of it to rate that one random episode of fist of the North star would get an S, but okay. I didn't really pay that much attention other yeah. than that one shot. Um, my prediction is that in the next episode, that dude's going to get fucking exploded. That's my, that's my guess is that he will not be the one that defeats Kenshiro. Well, what if he is? Well, there's another hundred episodes of anime. What if it's about that dude? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. How how strong is his grip? Because Kenshiro's is unmeasurable. <laughs> <laughs> unmeasurable plus one. <laughs> Maybe Kenshiro's is unmeasurable because it's so small. Anyway, that's all the stuff I, I, I didn't want to talk about too in depth. The next thing that I watched... I want to talk about a little more in depth. So I want to throw to you if you have any, like what you've been up to this week. Yeah. Uh, I have one movie that I'm going to talk about, but we'll do it after you do yours just because you watch so much and I have one movie. Yeah. So we're going to try and space it. Those up a little bit. Um, but I mean, the main thing I did this week was listen to podcasts because I watched so much Gundam. Mm -hmm. um, like the week before, uh, that I was not really listening to many podcasts other than some of my, like, dear friends ones. But mm. there's a bunch of other ones that are just, like, other podcasts that I listen to that got shunted into the queue and I didn't actually listen to. So I'm, like, caught up to where I was normally now. Uh, <clears throat> the other thing, though, so I've been uh, continu continuing to watch Double Zeta. Um I'm at this point now where let me let me double check the episode number I'm on right now. So I'm, I finished episode seven, and I'm at this point now where I think I I'm ready for like the plot to get the formula of the plots to get shaken up a little bit. I was having a lot of fun with just like the weird goofy antics, but it's at this point now where I'm like I hope that they're going to space next episode. That seems to be what's happening. Or soon. Like, they're leaving the, the colony. They're, they're technically in space. Um, and this whole, like, is Judo going to be part of the crew? It's just kind of resolved now, mm -hmm. I hope. We'll see. I don't... You may, may or may not know. You don't... I think it is? Yeah. Like, I hope that some of that stuff is moving on. I hope, that, I hope that we move past uh, Mashimir or Mashimre, however you say I, his name. Mashimur. Can I spoil something for you? Is he just going to continue on? So there's a. Is he the Jared of this? <laughs> so he's going to go away for like 30 episodes at a certain point. And then come back. And then come back. I don't remember when that point is. Okay. I know, um, I know it's early. It's early enough that he can go away for like 30 episodes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um,. Yeah, I, it just feels like the show needs to move on, and I, I'm hope the, hoping the show knows that, like, the Team Rocket antics with uh, Mashimur are, like, we can move past this now. Have you gotten to Moon the Moon? Whole... No. Okay. I don't think so. 
You, you, you would I would know, know if I got to Moon Moon. You would fucking know if you got to Moon Moon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's not, there is a yes or no, not a maybe. You'll know when you're I still moon. don't have any idea what Moon Moon is. Everyone just keeps telling me Moon Moon. Well, you'll I'm fucking know. I'm just like, know. Moon Moon. <laughs> you'll know, like, the next time you watch, you'll like, it'll be like the second episode you'll watch. Be like, oh, this is why everybody keeps talking about Moon Moon. <laughs> anyway. Um... <laughs> The big thing that I wanted to mention, though, uh, which this is a revelation that I had after um, both. Uh, so if people want to hear me talk more about Gundam, the best place to go currently, kind of strangely, <laughs> is uh, Pondering Pouton, the episode titled The Ultimate Lightness of Being. Yeah. Um, which when when we did uh, Elf around the long fire, Emma was like, oh, yeah, you're like, I assume that you I thought that you were just doing a bit where you're talking about Gundam because the robot got introduced in the, the Primarty High School manga. And I was like, no, the robot hasn't even been introduced. This is next chapter. <laughs> That's the next chapter, which the Japanese title is Future Century Cromarty. Um, That's cute. But the, the English one, they just do Cromarty. Is the, the title of the chapter, which is just you you've removed the entire reference. Anyway, the joke doesn't play that. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm excited for Mekazawa to get here, but uh, yeah, Connor and I just talked about Gundam literally the entire episode, so people can can go there to hear us talk about Gundam. Uh, also, Em and I talked a little bit about Gundam on Around the Long Fire, as well as Ghost in the Shell and Kino's Journey. <laughs> I'm excited to get to the n- most recent um, long fire. We're falling into this thing, which uh, I associate most with like uh, export audio. Cause you, you all did this so much like the actual like flagship podcast export mm-hmm. audio that the network is named after where you would do plugs and then just record for like another half hour. We haven't done a full half hour yet, but we will just do plugs and then we just chat. Yeah. Because Emma and I are, like, friendly, and we talk on Twitter some, and we will occasionally, a little bit more now that we have a podcast, we will send messages online, but we don't talk that much, and so there's, like, a a weird energy that's developing around around the long fire, where that's, like, the time that we talk. In the same way that, like, it gets shunted off also into after the, the ED, but usually Connor and I will do it at the beginning of a Ghost Divers recording, mm. and I just move it. But, like, Connor and I also catch up a bunch when we record because that's the main time we talk. So mm-hmm. um, a little bit of that energy is is showing up in Longfire, and I'm enjoying it. But, uh, yeah, we talk a little bit about anime there. Not as much. But uh, the other anime that I've watched a little bit more of is Licorice Recoil, which I'm just watching because, like, I just keep seeing Yuri fan art of these two girls. Like, all the people who draw girls kissing anime fan art on Twitter just seems to be drawing these two girls right now. And so it's like, I just want to like understand the popularity. Yeah. What, what is the popularity of this specific like ship right now? Why is this the one people are latching onto? The show's really stupid. And for the first three episodes, I was like, like there's a little bit of like, Oh, Takina is like kind of inner shell. And she's like very closed off and is like very serious and logical and analytical you got a little bit of a spock energy going on there and then chisato is like very genki and bubbly and happy and is trying to get takina to open up some but 
the first three episodes, it's really just played as like a friendship, kind of like a a growing friendship that's mostly being driven by like Chisato wanting this like girl that she's working with now to not just be like her serious coworker, but to like be friendly with her. And I was like, I can see how like romance develops out of this, but I I'm not feeling it in the show right now, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it will just get there. Then I watch episode four, and the entire arc of the episode for episode four is Chisato wants really, really badly wants to see uh, Takina's panties. Why? Very bad. Just not explained. Okay. Wait, you text then me she about finally this? sees Takina's panties, and they are boxers. And I thought this show was about lesbians. She's disappointed. The 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 bubbly, like girly lesbian, supposedly in this ship, is disappointed that the moody butch wears boxers. <laughs> but then the rest of the episode becomes about them panty shopping, and then Takina wanting to see Chisato's panties. And I was like, okay, this is just fucking anime. This is like, <laughs> it, it's it's so weird to me. This is my little diet. You can you can laugh at me for this. Yeah. What I'm about to say. I plan to. I, I watched this episode and I'm like, this is the most like fan service-y for like a presumed male audience. Right. Kind of stuff going on here where I can see how people will like read in a, a queer, like what is happening here is also some sort of expression of queer desire. But also in this, it's this way that feels very leering to me. And not, like, actually exploring anything about actual queer desire that actually happens between queer people. Unlike a thing that gets very, very often labeled queer baiting, Nana, Uh which is a text about loving another girl and then trying to process those, like, feelings and emotions Uh within, like, a a uh, heteronormative society that has these, like... Uh, especially like for for two girls who seem to be bisexual, and so thus it's very easy to fall into when you're in a, like a repressive heteronormative society, fall into the compulsory heterosexuality, yeah. and have this like understanding in some way that y- you feel like your life would be better or happier because this is a person who you deeply care about and who seems to care about you in the way that the other people that you're having relationships don't, but it's like extremely difficult for you to breach that final point of of recognizing that that's the relationship that you're having. Mm -hmm. And like very, very textually, that's what Nana is about. Benny. Yeah. Um, what are you looking at? Oh, you have Annie list pulled up. I asked you to send me your Annie list earlier today because I wanted to sign up for this. And then obviously I got caught up in recording three podcasts and never had time for it. But I was like, oh, you can keep track of manga here, too. Cool. Yeah, that's that's a thing that's been nice with... I mean, Mal or whatever has that my anime list as well. But it seems like most of my friends are on any list. So I yeah. set up an account on um, on my anime list, on Mal. Um, and then most people are like, well, we're on any list. But it's very easy to... There's like a, a website you can use that just exports okay. Everything that you've done on my anime list, and then you can easily import it into any list. So that was nice. I didn't have to like replicate. I think I set up at some point an anime planet account. You might also be able to find something to export. I yeah. feel like people on any list have developed tools to very easily export and then import stuff from other accounts. Okay. Um, I'll, I'm, I might look into that because I definitely, 
I would like a letterboxed for anime. You know, we were talking last time about um, my, like, mo- mostly attention span, like, relationship to anime right now. I watched a couple episodes of Paranoia Agent, and I sort of, like, felt like, oh, maybe I'm in a little bit more of an anime mood. You know, I kind of vented a little bit on the show. I, now I'm watching a little Paranoia Agent, enjoying it. Maybe, maybe I'm in an anime mood. But then I was like, well, I want a letterboxed for it. And you signing up for Analyst, I was like, okay, I'm put that on my like list for sometime in the next two weeks. I'll get one of those set up. You yeah. know, it's low on my priorities, but I want to get, I want to do that. One of the things I like too is one, there's a lot of anime, but not a, and it, it's in ways that feel very clearly like, not a, a logic to it, but like a, a, a intuitive that makes sense. That Magic Knight Ray Earth would not be on here, but another 50 anime that's more for boys would be. Like, 50 episode anime that's more for boys would be. What do you mean? You know? On on, uh, Letterboxd. Oh, okay. Okay. But also, it's this thing of, I will still finish an anime, and if it's on Letterboxd, I will log it on there and do a star rating or whatever. Um, Because that's just how I use Letterboxd. But it's also, like, weird sometimes to be like, ah, yes. Like, I like to be able to look at it and be like, oh, that was the day that I finished watching Bacchino or whatever. Yeah, I, I, any TV show that I have seen that I see on Letterboxd, I will log because I have a sort of completionist urge to do so. Yeah. Well, it's sometimes nice for me because I will sometimes look back at the diary and look at what, what did I, what was I watching? And then I'll be like, oh, yeah, I did finish that show. Yeah. You know? And I feel like this uh, does not give me quite the same diary, which is mm. um, a little bit annoying. Uh, I mean, you can still see, though, when you watch things. It'll log that when you, if you put it in. But I do enjoy just being able to, like, watch an episode of, you know, Witch for Mercury, and then I just click and say that I watched another episode. Mm-hmm. There's, like, something nice about just being like, I watched an episode and I get to go log that in yeah. a way that you can't with Letterboxd for TV shows. So. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, God, I'm watching so much anime right now, you do and most favor? of it is Gundam. While you, while you got Analyst open for me? Oh, the other thing is, if people go to my Analyst, which is Fox Omnia, is basically everything, um, I did do this thing one day where I, I was just, throughout the day, anytime I thought of an anime being like, oh yeah, I did watch that. Uh, I logged it. Uh, and this this included all of the anime that I can remember watching. So now everyone can go and see that I've watched Star Jewel and Star Jewel Gaiden. Hmm. And uh, like, uh, I always forget how to to say the the uh, Urotsuki Doji, Legend of the Overfiend. Oh yeah. So you don't know what Star Jewel is, and I know this. I know most people do not know what Star Jewel is. Nope. I'll just leave it that way for right now. People can look up what Star Jewel is. Can you can you just do me? A Maybe quick... don't do it at work. I will say. Can you do me a quick favor? What? Oh, is also, it... I I put the ones that I know that I dropped, so everyone can see that I have not finished Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> 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 Most of this is just back in the day. If you like, weren't if you like lost track while you were following it on TV, or you. Yeah. You didn't have all of the DVDs, which were just often sold individually. You just... Yeah. Like, I would have finished... Uh, me now would have easily finished uh, Arieka 7 or Eureka 7. Yeah. There's some way you're supposed to say it that's like the Japanese, whatever. Oh, um, okay. I didn't and know like Razefan. But both of those were ones where I was borrowing a friend's DVD and then I went to college. 
Right, yeah, makes sense. And they were, like, slowly buying them, so. Makes sense. Um, whereas, like, Hamtaro has, like, a thousand fucking episodes. Right. I did not watch all 1,000 episodes of Hamtaro. But there was a period when I uh, first moved to Chicago and was very poor, where my lunch ritual was I would make a, I would make rice and I would put some, um, of the, like, uh, furikake, the, the, like, seaweed, you know, spices little mix on top and that's what i ate i ate a lot of meals that were mostly just rice back then because mm-hmm. i was very poor mm. and i would watch one episode of hamtaro while i ate it because it was hamtaro themed furikake so it had like little hamtaro faces <laughs> <laughs> anyway the search bar up at the top of anylist.co for me yeah i just want to see how committed they are to certain memes that go around on the internet can you type twin peaks into that search bar for me Cowards. Twin Peach. Cowards. I just I just think that they should be committed to certain memes. I have not done the same thing yet with uh, manga, but I'm gonna try and list all the manga that I remember having read. Yeah. As well. But I think when I set this up, one, I'll try to import that one other thing. And two I think I'm not, I'm not going to try and drive myself nuts by spending an entire day like trying to like remember anime and manga because I'm going to do a bad job of it. Instead, I'm just going to like poke around and if I see a thing and I'm like, oh, I watched that or oh, I watched half of that or whatever, I'll log it. But I'm not going to yeah. try it. Luckily, I have just not watched that much anime or read. I've read a good amount of manga. I've not watched that much anime that it'll take forever. <coughs> the... <coughs> The main thing is that I have a bad memory, and I don't yeah. want to, like, drive myself nuts about my bad memory. <laughs> um, the big things that I did to help me build that list was, one, looked at the, my my anime shelf, mm-hmm. uh, my shelf of, like, movies and stuff, and what anime was in there, and what ones did that remind me of other ones that I've seen? Because mm-hmm. um, maybe I'd see that and be like, oh, I watched that with this friend, and then we also watched this together or whatever. The other thing is I went and looked what aired on Toonami and Adult Swim, because back in the day, that was a large <laughs> determiner of what I watched. So. That's cute. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've, I've just watched a lot of anime. Not as much this week, but that's still just, I'm still just anime brained. Yeah. There's a part where I, even though I'm not really enjoying Licorice Recoil, uh, Friday I was just thinking, I could just keep watching this, and I had to be like, no, Watch a movie for the podcast. Do it. You want to do it. Do it. Well, I did, and I well, had fun, but... I watched a movie. Yeah. Yesterday. Uh, I watched uh, Matango. Yeah. Um, which is um, the same tone of voice that the actor uh, says Matango in, in the movie. Um, I stumbled on this... A week or two ago, and finally got around to it. Um, this is 1963, directed by Ishiro Honda, the creator of Godzilla. Um, in this, you know, early slash mid 60s period, um, Honda is directing a lot of very, very hokey Godzilla movies. He's directing a lot of the. So there's a reputation in the West of. Oh, 1954, Godzilla, 
sometimes I'll call it Gojira, mostly to distinguish it from Godzilla King of the Monsters, the American re- mm-hmm. redo of that movie that's like a weird other thing. Um, so Gojira um, is like a serious, dark movie. And then after that, the it, it's just trashy movies for kids. There's no social commentary anymore. There's no depth to it. it. They just get bad after the first one. I reject that reading. I think that is like highly simplistic and reductive and erases um, a lot of the legacy of, I think, one of the most important science fiction filmmakers of the 20th century. Um, <clears throat> however, for every Mothra versus Godzilla, which is a fantastic movie, you also have some Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, which is fucking awful. <laughs> Honda was making two or three movies a year through from, like, 1957 to, like, 1975. Some of them were fucking bad. And a lot of them were Godzilla movies, which are the only ones that we watch over here. But yeah. I... So I saw in the Criterion channel Matango, which is one of his non-Godzilla movies. So I was like... I've never really seen any of his... I've seen his non-Godzilla movies because I've seen, like, Rodan or Baragon, but I haven't seen, like, you know... A non-kaiju. Non-kaiju movie that he's done. So I put this on, and I was totally blown away by what this movie is, how good it is, how how both different it is from the rest of his work of the same time period and how similar it is to the, to the rest of his work of this time period. Um, I think this is, I, I, there's some later late in the sixties and early in the seventies, there might be some competitors, but I have not rewatched these as an adult. I have not rewatched terror of Mecha Godzilla as an adult or, um, Ibira Horror of the Deep or um, Hedora. I've not seen those since I was a teen. Um, but I think Matango right now is my favorite film that he has done in color. I don't think it's as good as Godzilla, but I think it's pretty fucking close. <laughs> um, Matango um, is a story about he's like shitty, rich, like 20 somethings. Like the the who who are out on this yacht party basically, and they're like, we're so cool and edgy and different from all those stuffy assholes back in Tokyo. We're gonna go out on our yacht party and get away from boat the world. party, <laughs> and we're gonna get away from the world and all the squares back in Tokyo, and um, Mother Nature, uh comes and wrecks their shit, um, as she is so wont to do throughout all of Honda's movies. Um, and they get stranded on this desert island, and they start exploring the desert island, and they find this other, like, shipwreck, basically. And they're like, there's no sailors. Where did all the sailors go? And they're, like, exploring, and they're like, ooh, this ship was investigating, like, nuclear radiation out in the Pacific Ocean, because this is an Ishiro Honda movie. (laughs) Um, and then they get to like the, the deepest depths of the ship and they open it and they see an evil mushroom (laughs) and they're like, well, that's weird. And they kind of go and they, they're like, well, 
that's a weird evil mushroom. Let's ignore that for now and go find food. And one of them is like, hey, I ate one of the mushrooms and I think everybody else needs to eat the mushrooms now. And the rest of them are like, we don't know if the mushrooms are safe. And he's like, no, no, no. You should eat the mushrooms. And the rest of them are like, I don't know about eating the mushrooms. And then one guy is like, I'll eat the mushroom. And suddenly he gets real insistent. No, motherfuckers. I'm going to point a gun at you. You need to eat the fucking mushrooms. And slow, slowly, one by one, they all get um, uh, possessed by the evil mushrooms until there's only one of them left. And he discovers the reason there were no like bodies of the sailors is that all the sailors have turned into evil mushroom men um, that are have been like lurking in the island. And this one guy like escapes and he gets back on the yacht and basically like pushes it out the sea and drifts away. Um, and then there's a there's a twist ending where so at the very start of the film, you see like he's in this jail cell or you, you don't see that he's in a jail cell at first. He He's like talking and you think maybe he's like talking to a journalist or something. And he's like, you'd never believe my story if I told you you don't you'd think I was crazy. <clears throat> but I'll tell you what happened on that island. Um <clears throat> And then, um, so that was the very beginning of the movie. At the very end, it like cuts back to him and it zooms out and you see that he's in a jail cell and he's like, and now you've heard my story of evil mushroom men. No one would believe me. But the worst part of all, I loved her and I left her and I was so desperate on the yacht while I was waiting to get rescued that I ate the mushroom anyway, and he turns to camera, and he's now half mushroom face. <laughs> and then it cuts to credits. It's so fucking sick, dude. <laughs> it's so fucking good. <laughs> um, over on co-host, I wrote um, like maybe two hundred words of of just like some interesting stuff that I think like aesthetically Honda is doing in the movie that I won't rehash here because I think it'd be kind of boring to just get like really in depth on like look at the beginning of the movie you know the sets are like this and at the end of the movie the sets are doing this and there's a more saturated color blah 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 blah. um but people should go go to co-host and just you know go to my page and search hashtag movies it'll be somewhere in there yeah um really fucking taken with this movie really fucking taken with like all the stuff i just described is really silly there's evil mushroom people that are haunting the deserted island and, like, menacing, like, the 20-something snobs. It yeah. sounds silly, but, like, Honda is trying really, really hard to make, like, a horror movie for adults because Toho let him out of, like, the Godzilla mines. He's like, oh, thank God, I don't have to make another movie for children. <laughs> let me, like, actually try to make a movie that I would enjoy watching. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he does a... He, it's fucking fantastic. I th- I think all the silliness, he still is able to find a like more grounded, more darker tone with the silly ideas that I think is just really impressive. I don't think I, I, I think he's one of the best science fiction filmmakers of the 20th century. And I don't think anybody else could have made this movie the way that he did. I think his like mastery of special effects in the 60s is like unparalleled. Um and I think this movie is just a testament to all the things that I love about him all through his career, not just in Godzilla 1954. Yeah. Sorry to go really long about this movie. Also, it's 89 minutes long. 
me talking was like 1% of the movie. You could have just gone and started watching the movie while you were listening to my dumbass talk about it. Yeah. Can I can I be a brat? Please. It's Honda. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. I will try to keep that in mind going forward. You should do a Honda. Yeah, Honda. Honda. Okay. I will try to remember um, that. <laughs> I was expecting you to be more annoyed by that, but I think me saying, can I be a brat, <laughs> sets you up to be like, oh, thank you. No, no. I just appreciate... I do too many podcasts where I um, mispronounce Japanese words for me to be an asshole about it. I mean, I'm sure I mispronounce plenty of them because it's sometimes yeah. it's just hard in the moment to... Akira? Akira? <laughs> Akira? Akira. Akira. I was listening to... You and I had a conversation on the Akira episode about how this is the one Japanese word that's like hard for me to say because the culture is so powerfully Akira. Yeah. Um, And then I was listening to um, Your Uncle's Beach House, the episodes that they did about Akira. Um, And Jackson and Em and Rick have the same conversation on that show of just like the, the... the the cultural memory of the 1987 movie Akira is like so overwhelming in the West that it is hard to adjust for that one yeah. word. Even if I spoke fluent Japanese, I think I would still just struggle with that one name, you know? Yeah. Um. Anyway, I watched him. Oh, you gave an F. Yeah, no stare. Uh, that's not right. That's not right at all. That should get a B plus. Okay. Early in the movie, there is um, they're they're like exploring the ship, and in the dark depths of the ship, um, there's um, there's like a stair, there's like a creepy stairwell leading down into the dark depths of the ship, and then late in the movie, um, there's an evil mushroom man who's running up the stairs, and the other guy has a rifle, and he like shoots the mushroom man in the back, and the mushroom man collapses on the stairs. Nice. So, yeah, pretty good. Um. I watched The Lair of the White Worm. Can I tell a funny story about this movie? Yeah, I mean, if you didn't, I was going to. Okay, you tell it then. Well, so, this is a movie that I, I had been wanting to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were hanging out once, and I don't know what we picked instead. I think we just watched some Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Yeah, we were like, let's watch a scary movie or whatever. Right mm-hmm. from like the Criterion one, and I was like, I really want to watch this movie, Layer of the White Worm. And you were high. I was fucking blazed. Yeah. <laughs> um. And this movie is, I think, in ways that it is intentionally playing for humor sometimes. But this movie is extreme. I mean, there's also a guy here who's not British. He is Scottish, but he's extremely Scottish. Mm-hmm. A lot of the characters are extremely British. Mm-hmm. Like. Oh, me spotted dick is a line in the very that, that was around the point where you just lost it and had to tap out. I the movie was too British and I was too high. I couldn't I couldn't hear what they were saying because I was just laughing at the concept of British accents. Yeah. Uh it's some of it is over the like that line of like oh me spotted dick where she like <laughs> runs inside because she's a, afraid that her spotted dick is gonna boil over. <laughs> what I always think of spotted dick is a thing that's in cans, so I don't know what like the bad thing is that would happen while you're making it because I only I'm only aware of canned spotted dick. 
<laughs> I know you're just losing it because I keep saying dick, but... Uh, I'm still losing it because you're saying spotted dick. Yeah. You should get that looked at. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess maybe it would burn... What? <sighs> it's steamed. What? The... How are you going to fuck up your spotted dick steaming it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Oh it's like I don't even think it's in the oven. Anyway, oh um, this, this is why movie, I had to stop watching this. This movie. movie was fantastic. Okay, I loved this. It's funny, and mm. I think I think it is a work. So the other reason why I was like, oh, this is the one I should I should get back to because I wanted to watch it. Um, and I think that Listomania is a Ken Russell movie as yes. well, which they're doing on repertory screening. So I want to go watch that. Um, it's been a really long time. I, I think I've seen the devils. Um, but it's there. I want to watch a lot of Ken Russell because, um, I think he does like whenever swim fans does a Ken Russell movie, it just sounds like a blast. Um, I think they did this movie for an episode. Um, everything that I've seen from him has been great. Um, but yeah, so I, I checked this one out, and um, so it's based on like an actual legend from, um, like I think they call it the the Dampton Worm, and it was like uh, the Hampton Worm or something. I forget mm. what the the actual like legend is, but Worm here being like the W Y R M in origin, but is now turned into an O in English over the years, mm -hmm. but back then it meant like a, a serpent, like mm -hmm. a dragon, those kinds of things. And so there's this myth of the dragon slayer who slayed the, the worm um, that existed. And then it's sort of based around that, that myth. Uh, this movie is based off of a uh, Bram Stoker novel of the same name. And I have not read that one. I hear that the book is very bad. I think that part of what makes this movie really good is that it is laughing at some of the ridiculousness that's probably in the book. Mm. It seems to be aware, like there's just stuff that's heightened and over the top in a way that's very delightful. Um, but I've also come to the conclusion that uh, I think Bram Stoker has a thing for teeth and blood and mind control. No, because that's Dracula and that's, also layer of the white worm <laughs> and like me too buddy Many <laughs> uh, so in this one the vampires are uh essentially these like this cult of the the serpent basically this cult of the white snake uh essentially that it, and they're like taking care of like there's a part where you see this giant i don't even think it's animatronic i think it is a giant um puppet they talk about it they like did research into this specific part i think on some fans um or they had someone on who like really likes this movie but because it's like a car hood or something that they use as part of it because there's a there's a part where you see it and you're like oh they have some little like you know how you do like a puppet model in old movies for like the the worm the the sandworm mm -hmm. worm sign worm sign yeah um here you see that and you kind of expect that it's like a smaller model that they're they're just trying to make it seem like it's big but there's a part where an actress just falls into the mouth for real like not composite shot right and so they built it and I think they like use like a, a car hood and stuff for it but anyway um yeah, no. A lot of it is like kind of ridiculous and over the top. Some of the plot twists are just stupid and they they play it that way in a way that's very fun. Um but one of the main things is 
they're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Uh, this Flint, who's the Scottish man, finds the the uh, head of a this of like a snake, but like he's. It seems like a di- a giant dinosaur bone because it's like a huge reptilian looking head. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's only like a thousand years old based on like the dating of the you know level that it was found or whatever. And so they're trying to p- puzzle it out. Um, and then all this stuff starts building around like snake stuff going on. And then there's this woman who just acts very snake like and keeps talking about snakes. And he comes over, goes over to see her and like, oh, here are some of the games that I like to play or whatever. And she's like, oh, I've always been a fan of snakes and ladders. Like, just like constantly this, Mm -hmm. everyone should just know Mm -hmm. from the jump. And he starts to suspect, but like, it takes way longer than it should for anybody to suspect (laughs) this woman who is also just like the most like lavish, like every single scene she's in, she just has a different, extremely lavish like outfit on right yeah um she just like travels with her own wardrobe change basically mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's just ridiculous it's all so over the top in what it's doing uh but it's all like heightened in a way that is like funny and also just uh exciting to see there are multiple times where people touch the venom that she spits out because she will sometimes spit out venom the first time that you see it is she goes up to to steal uh the the fossil and she goes up the stairs in the house and there's a crucifix at the top of the stairs and she just spits venom on jesus (laughs) and then later the woman who lives in the house is going upstairs and there's like oh, there's something weird on Jesus and touches it and then gets this like really intense, like uh psychic vision of like a, a time in the past where like Jesus is like chained up with a snake around him. And then like people are like fighting and killing each other and having like wild, horrible sex. Um, all of this stuff is that, but it, like all of it is like in the way that we really appreciate with David Lynch he's using like digital or like very obvious compositing. Mm-hmm. Like there's just like flames in the background and it's so obviously composited, but it's all of this effect of like, it's not important to make this look realistic. Part of creating this weird dream space is just letting the like strange composite. We like did this with special effects shine through to make it even more like strange and unsettling mm-hmm. um, than if you were just trying to like fully recreate this as like a, a real image by letting it be so obviously unreal, it like adds to the effect of it. Um, and that happens multiple times. There's like multiple things. Hell yeah. This. It's great. Sounds um, good. It was great. But it is extreme. It's just extremely British and also Scottish. There's, <laughs> uh, the British man is like, oh, uh, my father, you know, he, let me look at his like vinyl. Cause I, in order to protect ourselves. So they find out that also whenever she hears music, she like can't control it. And she like has to like dance. <laughs> Like, specific music, though, because, obviously, Snake Charmer music stuff. And oh. so he's trying to find, like, oh, in this way that I think is trying to comment on something about, like... But it's, like, trying to find, like, you know, Indian Snake Charmer music, basically. Okay. Um, or, like, Middle Eastern Snake Charmer music. In the way that, like, that stuff is often bizarrely conflated from a very colonial perspective. Yeah, totally. Um, I forget exactly what term they say, but it was, like, kind of ridiculous. Uh, but then, like you know, puts on the vinyl and it's like the first side and the, the butler's like, Oh, uh, 
you know, your, your father, this, uh, it, this woman that he was into uh, would come by, I believe, uh, belly dancers, how you would say it nicely. <laughs> and like, she would like dance to that music and then they flip it over and then it's got the like flute and everything for the, the snake. But then, uh, when the, uh, there's two, it turns out there's two sna- snake ladies. So mm-hmm. when the first one comes by, uh, she cuts the power and so the music stops and she's able to attack. Uh, the Scottish guy is not relying on electricity and recordings on vinyl. He walks around just constantly playing on a bagpipe, <laughs> but he gets got because the other snake lady knew that they were doing this and put in earplugs. <laughs> it's fucking great. I love this movie. Anyway, there's a total twist at the end that I'm not going to give away, but it's so stupid, but in a very fun way. And I, people just need to watch it. Um, I can tell you after record if you want to know, but I, I might watch it. I don't know. Yeah. But the act, it is, the accents are thick. The accents are thick. The lines seem to be playing into them. So. Oh, me spotted dick. <laughs> Well, that transitions us, you know what, actually that transitions us great into, um... The tragedy of Macbeth. (laughs) Scottish. Scottish. Um, yeah, so I watched, um, the 2021... Mm. S-Rank Stairs. Um, lots of stairs throughout this, but one, uh, in particular that's incredible is there's this part where the snake lady is going to, uh, kill, uh, uh, like, teen boy... Who she's like seducing, but not to have sex with, just specifically to kill him and then feed him to the the snake. And there's this part where uh, he's in like a hot tub, and she, her like hot tub room just has the most ornate staircase leading down to it, where the entire shot is just like here's the hot tub, there's the staircase like going up. Um, it's fucking ridiculous. And then the this is when the Scottish guy comes by and she's like, oh, what games and stuff. So in order to hide the body who she's already like uh, given venom so that he can't like talk or move anymore. She just takes her like healed foot and like pushes his head underwater. It's ridiculous. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, S-rank stairs. Great stairs. And that that staircase in particular is just exceptional. So, yeah, I watched the 2021 um Directed by Joel Cohen without Ethan Cohen. Uh, Cohen brother. Cohen brother film. Yeah. <laughs> the Tragedy of Macbeth. <laughs> um which is um as as I as I'm probably going to refer to it for the rest of my life, the Denzel Macbeth. Um the, or if you will, the Francis McDormand uh Macbeth. Either way. Yeah. Um This is very very, and this is what I wanted from the movie, to be clear. From the moment I heard about this movie, this is what I wanted the movie to be, and I, I got what I wanted from the movie, which is Joel Cohen casts Denzel Washington as Macbeth and Francis McDormand as Lady Macbeth, and then he just lets those two act because they're two of the best actors of their generation and they fucking crush it in this movie. Yeah. Because it's Macbeth. <laughs> it's fucking good. <laughs> um, I like Macbeth a lot as like a Shakespeare play. This was actually my first time um, 
seeing Macbeth done in the original um, Shakespeare. My yeah. only to this to this uh, uh, prior to this, my only experience of Macbeth was Throne of Blood, or as I'm wont to call it, Throne of Blood, Throne of Blood, Throne of Blood. <laughs> <laughs> um uh but I genuinely I know this is a little bit recency bias. I would say this is like on a level with Throne of Blood. I think this is doing a very different style, doing a very different like genre sort of thing, but I think it is like I think it is very 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 good. I think it is fucking excellent. Um so if people don't know, um, this film is entirely done in black and white. It is done entirely in like Academy ratio, which is, I think like just a smidge wider than four, three. Um, and the, like the corners of the frame are rounded a little bit rather than like sharp corners. You get like the sort of rounded edges to the frame. Um, that's sort of like, are a very subtle reminder to you always about the, like, filminess of this movie, which is intentional because, um, on the one hand, uh, Cohen lets these two, and lets the whole cast act. The whole cast is fantastic in this movie. Um, but in particularly, in particular, he's highlighting those two. Um, but on the other hand, um, I think that he's very playful with like image and editing and like sort of the artificiality. Like if you click this one here, this is so plainly like a soundstage yeah. like this. This is not a room that exists in any real Scottish castle. Listeners, what we're looking at is like Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are like, Standing in a room, there's a doorway over here that is just, like, one huge arch, and then there's three similarly shaped arches that are, like, win- windows? Yeah. Into, into... Picture windows, but without glass. There's no glass in there, mm. and they're yeah, looking yeah. out onto just, like, blackness. Mm. Like, just darkness, because it is it is a soundstage. It is a set. And then you just have this one massive spotlight lighting the scene. There's no fill lights. There's no nothing. There's just the one big spotlight that's coming down on them as if it were on a stage, you know? Yeah. And, and that's just the sort of thing that I can describe to you in one random still that you pulled up on Google images in, in this, in this shot here. So there's one, um, actress who plays the weird sisters and she's sort of a very, she like does a, she's a contortionist. Um, and so she like will move her body in very strange ways, right? That already like creates the the weird sisters effect. And then Cohen will do a thing where she walks up. She's the center one. She walks up to this pool, um, and then there will be two reflections of her in the water. It'll cut to a puzzled Denzel, and then the two reflections will um, appear above the water. So now there's three weird sisters, you know, yeah. in the next shot. Um like Cohen is is making like 
I wish I had a better way of saying this, but like placing like primacy on like the image itself and and like the the feelings that can be evoked with an image and that image does not need to be based in any reality. The characters do not need to engage with any sense of reality at all. Um, you're Googling Utena Hallway and it's like 100% like 1 million percent this shot from the tragedy of Macbeth is inspired by that shot from that <laughs> Utena Hallway. You cannot convince me otherwise yeah. because the specific way that Cohen is playful with the image in this movie is very like Utena to me. Um, like Utena, I, I believe this in my heart is an inspiration for this movie. The other thing that is, was constantly in my mind and it's partly because of the black and white. It's partly because of the Academy ratio. Um, it's partly because of the like purposefully off kilter special effects that will happen throughout the movie is I think he's very clearly trying to do like a Bergman, a sixties Bergman type thing. Yeah. Um, and I think it all just really works. I think it like, I think all all of the like, um, all of that playfulness with what the image is and what the image can do in this movie is never undercutting the emotional core of like what Macbeth is. You know? Yeah. Um, it's never undercutting the emotional core of Denzel's conflictedness, like. Denzel is perfectly conflicted throughout this movie, and Francis McDormand is perfectly, ruthlessly committed to murdering every motherfucker between her and the throne. Um, Out you, damn spot. (laughs) She's so good in that scene. Oh, my God. Because because then there's, like... So she's, she's washing her hands, right? And there's the two other characters that are watching her and are like... I think the the queen's gone mad, blah, 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 you know, and she, so they're up above her and they're looking down and the camera cuts to looking down at her. She's out, out, you damn spot. And then she looks up at them, but the way she looks up at them, she's looking at the viewer. She's looking dead center into the camera. Um, and in a way that like, the man's been making movies since the eighties. He knows the sort of like conflation between like, he know, he knows what's happening there when he has her look at yeah. the camera as other people are viewing her and commenting on her. You know, like it's not it's not accidental. It's it's deliberate. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's good. It's just fucking good as hell. I cannot recommend this movie enough. You know, um, I mean, here's my recommendation: is that I think it is worthy to be compared to Throne of Blood. Yeah. Also, also, I appreciated. It very, very early on, I think it does a little nod to Throne of Blood, and then it gets past it. I I think that, like, Cohen is aware that he is existing in conversation with all sorts of other performances of Macbeth, both on stage and on screen, all through the centuries. And I think early on, he does, like, a little, little, little tiny little reference to Throne of Blood, maybe. Or maybe that was just my perception of it. But regardless, he does it, and then he moves on. He's like, okay, I'm I'm existing in conversation. We we know that this exists in a dialogue with all those other things. 
and now we're going to do our own version, you mm. know? Do you know what Lady Macbeth says when the family dog makes a mess in the kitchen? <laughs> what does Lady Macbeth say when the family dog makes a mess in the kitchen? Out, out, you damn spot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so anyway, S-rank stairs? Yeah, S-rank stairs. So... So, like I say, very deliberate, like, sound stage quality to this movie. Macbeth, he kills um, the king, right? I forget that guy's name. Doesn't matter. He kills the king. There is this beautiful sound stage in the sort of, like, main Macbeth home. Because the king comes to the Macbeth home to, to stay for the night. And that's where Macbeth kills him. In that home... There is this huge, gorgeous staircase that leads up to where the um, where the king is staying. Denzel is standing in the shadow of that huge stairwell, and he's like, "Oh, somebody should probably go wake the king. I haven't heard from the king today." And he's like, he's so perfectly playing. Like, I can't. I I I have to tell this lie right now that I don't know what's up with the king, but I can't. I I can't commit to it. You know. So somebody goes up the stairs to wake the king and Macbeth has a little chit chat with the people at the bottom of the stairs. And then somebody runs down the stairs. The king is dead. The king is dead. And Macbeth runs up the stairs and then he like kills the two guards and throws them down the stairs. And then there's the people standing at the bottom of the stairs like what's happened? And Denzel stands at the top of the stairs and delivers this like great monologue while slowly walking down the stairs. It's an S rank. It's an S rank. Yeah. There's a, a couple other good bits of the stairs li- uh, after this, but that scene alone, S-rank stairs, it is everything we want, is Macbeth delivering a monologue about, oh, I don't know who, we're all looking for the guy who did this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's um, the tragedy of Macbeth. Um, before we get to our our segment two, where we talk about Twin Peaks, and I'll do my usual spoiler warning there. I want to do a little segment 1.5, just a little, like, Ooh. housekeeping. Yeah. W- next week... Okay, first of all, next week is Thanksgiving. I fully reserve the right to be like, hey, there was a big holiday. Shit got messed up. Maybe there's no stairwells next week. I yeah. We have plans to make stairwells happen next week, but I don't want anybody to be surprised if there's no stairwells next week, because... There is a big holiday going on. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but two, I think we're going to double up episodes six and seven next week. Yeah. So, I mean, whatever. I will, we'll try it with six, six and seven. Yeah. So we were talking about it because we watched... Uh, we watched episode five today. Yeah. AKA episode four, One-Armed Man. Yeah. Um... And, like, we're having fun. We're having fun. I don't have that much to say about this episode, though. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, like, when we watched the pilot, that was... There's I would not have wanted... Dissect. Yeah, I would There's... not want to double up on the pilot. Yeah. I think we could have doubled up on the other episodes since then. I think we could have done two and three. I think we could have done four and five. Yeah. You know? Um. But, so, we're going to tr- try a doubled up week... 
Because this one in particular is the most just like, like David's not directing or writing. Mm-hmm. Frost is not doing anything. Th- this is. It's still a good episode. It's still fun. There's still some stuff progressing. There's a little bit that we can talk about with like Leland or whatever. But like yeah. most of this is like a TV mystery is developing on TV. Yes. Yes. And, and this is the week that I was like, we do a movie podcast. I like the movie podcast we do. I would and, like to get and, back to the movie podcast faster. Yeah, and and I'm still go- I'm gonna enjoy the hell out of Twin Peaks the rest of the ride, but I was just like, okay, like like I guess. Yeah, so our, our idea right now, but and we'll try it out next week, and then also people can let us know how they feel and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like both of us have in our hearts that our plan is. Next time we do uh, five and six, aka six and seven, Cooper's dream and realization time. Yeah, we do an episode that's just the finale of season one. We maybe we'll look back on season one yeah. generally. Also, I remember this finale being kind of a banger, so it'll be good to just do yeah. that episode by itself. Then we'll do Wild at Heart. Yeah, and then I think for season two we'll just do two episodes. Two episodes each week. Yeah. That's so that'll, talk- that'll cut it from 22 <laughs> weeks of doing season two to 11 weeks. And I think for something like Totally Reprise or even Twin Peaks Rewatch or something, going yeah. episode by episode every week makes a lot of sense. But I think for... for Just for our style, for just like the way that we talk about things, I just don't feel like... It'd be nice to have a little bit more to chew on and also to not... Like, we've already kind of said stuff about how we feel about the end of the return. Yeah, and so it's like, I don't... And I want to just kind of get there and see how I still feel about it, rather than... I enjoy the whole ride of Twin Peaks. Yeah. You and me, our style is not suited to episode-by-episode television discussion, you know? Yeah. That's That's the thing that I'm bumping up against here, and so, like, I want to talk about Wild at Heart, I want to talk about Lost Highway... I want to talk about Inland Empire. Yeah. I want to talk about the end of the return. And like right now, we're not going to get to Lost Highway until June. Yeah. Like if we can move that up till March, that would be great. That'd be nice. And and listen, I love Ben Horn is a Confederate. Yeah. I love. We're still going to talk about all this shit that we like in season two. This is not. We don't think season two is good. Yeah. This is. First of all, we're starting this in season one, which I like a yeah. lot. I like this episode that we watched today. We might even stick with this for two episodes at a time of The Return. That's going to be a, a bigger commitment for us because it's instead of an hour and a half, it's two hours. Yeah, but we'll. I'm, I'm thinking about it. We'll yeah. see how we feel. You know, I mean, it would it would be nice to talk about like the first two together, the the last two together. Yeah, because I, that's how they aired, and then at that point, those are the ones that feel honestly the meatiest to even dig into. Yeah, totally. And so if we're doing those together. We might as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think this will just be better suited to our style. And, and yeah, I just, like, much as I love a lot of silly soap opera stuff in season two, um, I know that, like, Reprise got kind of, like, bogged down in, like, months and months of talking about, like, Mr. Tajimura. Maybe we can expedite a little bit of that process, you know? Um, I don't want to cheat the process. I just want to quicken it (laughs) yeah well and then this will get us ending going through them in like june which going through all of lynch by june yeah 
feels better. Yeah, totally. Every time I just say his last name, it feels bad to me. Yeah. I, I say David a lot because just saying his last name. Yeah. But I do it like out of impulse uh-huh. sometimes. Anyway, we'll be done with David in June, which just feels nicer. Yeah. And I'll be also, like, I'll be like wrapping up IBO then too. I'll be like completing two big projects that, because IBO is going to be the longest season of uh, Ghost Divers yet. Yeah. All that will feel nice. Yeah. So. And also, um, I'll also probably be, I'll also probably be on the final Gun, uh, Gundam C Destiny episode around then too. Life comes at you fast. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I can't believe I agreed to. There's a I can I can show it to you. Uh, I got spoiled on a thing from Sea Destiny, but it made me more excited than anything has made me about Sea Destiny, which is still not that excited. I, I haven't listened to any of the the Gundam Seed episodes, so you can show this to me. I won't know what it means yeah. at all. Um, can I can I even just like quick find? It? I I feel like I had to open it a tab. Anyway, so that's that's segment one point five. While you find this uh whatever it is now we're gonna get into segment two um as always uh all bets are off for spoiling like anything through the end of twin peaks um i doubt we'll do that this episode but you know all bets are off we can do we could spoil whatever we want if you want a non-spoiler version of this podcast you can go to audioentropy.com and go listen to totally reprise um which is a fucking fantastic show this is this is good I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say anything else, but this thing that you're showing me from Seed Destiny yeah. is good. I already revealed on Around the Long Fire that uh, it is a Gunpla model that's in the current Gundam okay. Expo. Um, I think I'm going to pre-order this just because I like it. What? It, I'm I'm trying to get a little better view on one of these details here. Um, what what is what does that say? Th- yeah. Okay. So, yeah, this this that's fun. Cool. Anyway, I don't I don't know who that is, but sure. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it made me weirdly excited about this. Yeah. I was like, that's gonna happen in Destiny. That that's better than anything that happened in Seed. <laughs> so, segment two, talking about Twin Peaks. Here's the thing: is we've now been. You know what's stupid? What. My favorite part of Gundam Seed is an extended argument about what sauce to put on your shawarma. We've been talking into this microphone for an hour and 48 minutes. I don't fucking remember what happened in this Twin Peaks at all right now. Llama. Llama. (laughs) Okay. Let's do the thing. Last time we just kind of went through... I just kind of quick summarized all these paragraphs on on the Twin Peaks wiki, right? That's what we did? I think so. So we open first scene. Sarah Palmer is describing Bob to Andy, who's doing a police sketch. Yeah. Um, Cooper is not there. Um, we will learn out that it's because he's a strong sender. <laughs> and he wants to see if the man that she had in her vision and describes is the same man that he had in his dream. So I know we're in the first paragraph still. Yeah. But can we? can I talk broadly about where I am with Cooper this week? Yeah. So last couple of weeks, I felt very like, ah, the end of the return. Here we go. I'm fucking spoiling the end. Yeah. Of the full return. spoiler part. Go but, listen, if you haven't. Why are you listening to this episode now? Still listening? 
If you haven't watched all of Twin Peaks and you've listened to this one and haven't listened to any of the other ones we did where we told you we we're going to spoil everything and to go listen to Totally Reprise when you watch through the first time. But go do that. Go I do guess. that. Just in case. So, the end of The Return has, as we've talked about so many times in these early episodes, has primed me to be critical of Cooper, right? Yeah. And I've gone into... I've gone into everything so far critical of him. This is the week where I could feel I'm still critical. I'm still like noticing things he's doing and you piece of shit motherfucker. Yeah. But the charm is like working on me again. He like says his little catchphrases. He like goes from place to place and he's just charming and, and, and getting shit done. And the, the Kyle McLaughlin charisma just won me over this week, which is just, like, great news for, like, my ability to watch a television show and have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I was having fun the last few weeks, but just being won over by, by Cooper again, who I have not seen in so long. I've only seen it, like, I've seen The Return more recently than I've seen any of this stuff. So just, all right, my good friend Dale Cooper, I'm just yeah. going to hang out with him. And I I know some shit's coming down the line that's going to make me feel differently about all this. But for right now, I'm just going to enjoy watching Dale Cooper on the TV. He's my buddy. Yeah. that's That, that was a very pleasant feeling this week. I do think it's interesting because this episode has less in it for me to feel. I mean, there's a little bit of like you can be critical of like, why isn't he going to talk to the, you know, like, I don't fully... I don't believe his reasoning of like, oh, I'm a, but I, I know he has his own reasoning and I'm like, th- I feel like some of the Lynch, the David Lynch stuff mm. that we have seen already in the season is priming you to be a little bit more critical of Cooper. Yeah. Than this episode is. And there's a certain amount to which I watched this episode and I'm like, <clears throat> there is a, there's more of a distance here, I think from. You know, we are just fully convinced at this point that David Lynch knows the ending. Mm-hmm. Maybe does not think that he will ever do that ending. Mm-hmm. Will ever reveal that it's Leland and all this kind of stuff. But I think already has like ideas about what he's doing. So um, I'm going to start- going to continue on and are going to include how's Annie and all the stuff in the return and stuff is yeah. like stuff that I think he's also thinking about with Cooper. Mm hmm. But the people doing this episode, and he's just kind of happy to let them do one where Cooper is just charming. Yeah. He's happy to let those people do the thing that is like the service level that he wants, because he's fine having that continue to build up and have people root yeah. for, for Cooper and think that he's charming and funny and everything. For for for, for the turn... Without constantly seeding that you're supposed to be questioning him. Yeah. For, for that turn to work, you have to like Dale, you know? Yeah. And, and so I'll... I'll... And he can do the stuff where he will sometimes slip in things that might be suggesting. I'm going to summarize a little bit and I'm going to circle back to this. Just one one more note I want to make about what you just said. So Sarah is describing Bob um, and Andy's doing the police sketch. And Leland, disheveled in his bathrobe, wanders in and is like, Oh, Sarah, why don't you tell them about your other stupid vision you had? Blah, blah, blah. And then he like kind of wanders out. Um, Leland saying that is perfectly timed to, it comes right after, written by Robert Ingalls, who is the co-writer 
on Fire Walk with me. And it just funny to see that because that is the the spiteful Leland. We've not seen that so far in this show. Yeah. The the bitter, the meanness, that will be in the show. And that is what I associate most powerfully with Fire Walk with me. And so just Robert Ingalls gets one scene of Leland in this episode, and he already had he's the first guy who's put that bitterness of Leland into yeah. the show. Which oh, I just know, thought- and I think we forgot to mention this last time. Last episode was directed by Tina Rasborn and written by uh, Harley Payton. And then this one was directed by Tim Hunter and written by Robert Engels. Harley Payton, I know, works on this show a lot, uh, as does Engels. Yes. Um, I think that Tina Rasborn and Tim Hunter, Tim Hunter does, like, they both do a little bit in season two as well, but they're not as, like, big as some of the other ones who, who recur. So I'll be. But they're also not one off episode directors. I'll be interested to to keep an eye on like angles going forward and see if like he gets more scenes of Leland because I'll be interested to see how he does Leland's voice because this is a unique version of Leland. Yeah. And this is this is only like three lines, you know, but this is a unique version of Leland so far that I think is going to very clearly carry over to Firewalk with me. So I'll be curious to see if, oh, maybe like maybe David goes to him to co-write the movie because he thinks that that guy has a good grasp on Leland the Abuser or something, you yeah. know? Um, we'll, we'll see. I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Part of this project is us trying to kind of pay attention and draw connections between, like, who's writing, who's directing, how do mm-hmm. we feel like this is reflecting yeah. on various threads. Yeah. You know? Not that, like, these people are fully in control of, but, like, you know writer's room they come together they kind of figure some stuff out and then people go write individual scripts and they're going to bring their own thing to their scripts or whatever so. yeah <clears throat> from here we get a little um interstitial bit um Her- so we see f- some invitation to love as harry and andy are coming back to the police department um and they're like Hey, Lucy, what's going on? And Lucy summarizes Invitation to Love in exhausting detail for them. This is a great bit. This is just a great bit. Also, the the twin sisters being Jade and Emerald is fantastic. (laughs) I think that was mentioned in the last episode, but I didn't pick it up until this one. Um, And then we get introduced to Lucy is mad at Andy for some reason that will not be revealed in this episode. And Cooper obviously knows... There's a thing between them because it's yeah. superpower. Yeah. Um, n- from here we go to the ma- the main bit that we're going to get at the police department right now is um, boys' night. Before before boys' night. Okay. There there will be. I think they're going to leave the department and come back, and then we'll get boys' night. So for right now. Um, oh yeah. In the it's conference, after the the gun goes off in the yeah. conference room. Um, Cooper is interviewing Dr. Jacoby, who is being like doing enigmatic sleight of hand magic and Yeah, and he's like just being a fucking weirdo. Kind of like the whole problem with this society is psychosexual, like kind of just like saying Freud stuff that I don't think he believes. Yeah. Or if he believes, it's just because he's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Um he Jacoby is like in my six months with Laura, I couldn't possibly get her to, like, tear down her, like, secrets and reveal them to me. And I was like, 
I've been, I've been in therapy for a few years now. I have, I have things I've never talked to my therapist about. I have secrets that I keep from my therapist. My therapist does not view this as a failure on her part. I, I've talked with my therapist about that, and she's like, well, if you ever feel like you want to talk about it, go ahead. I'm not going to try and pry. Um, Jacoby has like a weird adversarial and sexual relationship to Laura that has already been established, but I just want to like <laughs> be, I don't know that like nineties audiences would have picked up on. This is not what therapy is supposed to be like. <laughs> I think, I think nineties audiences would pick up that this man is bizarre and weird and a creep. But... Uh huh. But, like, this is not what therapy is. It is not the job of a therapist in six months to pry open all the secrets of a of a client, you know? Yeah. <laughs> also, if you wanted to do that, I, I've been with my therapist for years, and there's still stuff, you know? Six months is nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Espe- six months is especially nothing when your client is, like, getting actively, like, raped by her father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, any other thoughts about Jacoby here? Or should we keep moving? There's also the, the, the weird tone when, cause Cooper asks if he's one of the three men that she had sex with mm-hmm. and he says no in a way that seems disappointed. Yeah. He's like, <gasps> no, as if yeah. he wishes that he raped her on the night she was murdered. Yeah. I um, hate this man. I hate him so much. He mentions, um, that. The night after she was <clears throat> murdered, he was tailing somebody who had a red Corvette. Um, and Harry is like, Leo's got a red Corvette. Um, and so they decide to follow up on that lead. Um, and Gordon Cole gives them a call. Yeah. And at this point, it's all over like a weird speakerphone. Speakerphone thing. Where it's like, David is shouting. But it's not in a way that makes sense for like you're talking over a weird long distance phone call. Yes. I see how you do this. And then later you're like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if he's always shouting? Yeah. Let's make him hard of hearing so that he's always shouting. Wouldn't wouldn't it be funny if people see this scene and they're like, oh, he's shouting because it's hard to to like he's trying to make sure people can hear with the speakerphone. But actually, no, he just always talks this way. That would be a funny joke. That would be a funny joke. And it would be a funny joke. It's extremely funny. <laughs> yeah. It then gets into some weird territory with it being explained by he's hard of hearing, but it yeah. is still it is still a funny joke to have him introduced shouting into a speakerphone, and you never actually see the man, and you just go, well, that makes sense. It's a speakerphone. And then it just turns out that's how this man talks. That's a, <laughs> That in and of itself is a funny joke. The Gordon Cole shit is really funny, and the poem, like, the, the like, Hawk gives later in the episode, we'll dig into it, Hawk gives this, like, poem that is clearly trading on, like, tropes of, like, Native American mysticism that, you know, we, we've already been critical of in the show. But the punchline to it is really fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, it's the kind of thing where, like, I can't, I can understand why, like... The actor is playing this character and doing this because from a, like a, especially a nineties humor thing mm-hmm. doing the, here's this thing that's kind of stereotypical and racist and mm-hmm. like bad. But then the joke is, oh, it's not actually that 
like the joke is you thought it was that, but actually it's a bad poem or right. whatever that, right. this, that this man wrote for his girlfriend or whatever. Like that is such a, a classic nineties yes. formulism uh, or like formulation for humor mm-hmm. that, uh, it's hard for, for me from this perspective now where it just doesn't come off in the same way, but like, I've, I've listened to enough old comedy to know that there are lots of people who are making, like, from, like, marginalized positions, mm-hmm. making jokes like this at the time. Yeah. So, so... Because it is supposed to be this flipping it over on the person who would assume the thing where you're making a joke out of that assumption. So, like... But also now it kind of is just... You're, now you're, sometimes it, it reads as, but in a way that is hard for me to fully gauge is this, what was really happening at the time or as like comedy, the construction of comedy just changed. Right. In de- the many decades since that at once this was an actual more subversive funny thing. And now because that it was done and was done so long ago, when people do it today, it is a chance to just say something that's like stupid and shitty and racist, but then to do the subversion and ha ha ha. Because forum culture and everything did this to death in a way that became, let me say, a slur on my forum, mm-hmm. like in my forum post, but turn it around in some way or whatever, you know? So so David and uh, Michael Horse met doing that, like, French TV episode, The Cowboy and the Frenchman, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which, or, or The French as Seen by David Lynch. Um, and in that, which you've, you've not watched, correct? I still keep forgetting to watch it. It's fine. Um, so, so in that, um, you get like these like over the top stereotypes of cowboys and you get these over the top stereotypes of Frenchmen. There's like a, a French guy who's like carrying a bag with him that has like a little tiny Eiffel Tower in it and a baguette and like some brie, you know? Yeah. And also in here. You get Michael Horse, who is playing like an over-the-top racist stereotype of a Native American person. Yeah. Um, and all the cowboys, or not all the cowboys, a couple of the cowboys are like, oh, no, we can't let that guy hang out with us. Um, he's, you know, the, the you can't trust Native Americans, blah, 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 blah. And Harry Dean Stanton, the good, up, moral, upright cowboy, is like, no, we can let him hang out with us. And they get to chit-chatting. And it is revealed that the reason the other guys didn't want Michael Horse hanging out with them is that they all owe him 20 bucks, you know? Yeah. And not that they actually don't trust Native Americans, but they didn't want to pay him back the money they owed him. Yeah. And this feels like very much the same joke of like, oh, here's a bunch of racist stereotypes, but actually the thing is we just didn't yeah. want to pay him the money we owed him. But, but we're, we're subverting that. Trip. Yeah. 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 That, and that again, be- it's it's so hard for me from like a, a more modern, even having grown up watching this stuff in the nineties, mm-hmm. it's still hard for me to like gauge. Yeah, fully. and it's like I, I guess the reason I'm because I, up- I was so young and also in a not fully white but very white yes. suburb. I guess the reason I bring this up is that in that in that episode, the 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 stereotypes put on to Michael Horse are racist. It is bad. It is also very funny when the other guys hand him the money they owe him and he's just like, thanks. He's been yeah. like very like strong, silent type. And then he's just like, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. He sells it really well, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, there's, no, there's not a good way to square those two things, I don't think. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, moving on. Um, I mean, we're, we're not totally moved on from it yet because there's still more Boys Night stuff to discuss later. But um, something with Jacques Renault. Oh, Gordon calls and he says that the bite marks on Laura's shoulders were from birds. And so Cooper is like, well, let's go investigate some birds, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um. And how, what, I forget exactly how the, well, cause we also get the one going to the, um, going to the hotel. Yes. Okay. That's the, that's this next yeah. paragraph here. So Andy brings in the sketch that he did of Bob and Cooper is like, that's the same man I saw in my dream. I didn't want to go because I thought maybe that Sarah's visions and my visions were connected and I didn't want to like influence her but this confirms it like we're both having the same visions um and then they get a a a call from hawk who's like i found the one-armed man you got to come meet me in this motel they go to the motel we see that josie is already there she's like trying to get a photo a candid photo of like Catherine and ben horn sleeping together sheriff's department rolls up they don't care about Catherine and ben horn one bit they don't care about i think josie like leaves once the sheriff's department gets there because she doesn't want to be seen. Yeah. Um, and they're going and knocking on the one-armed man's door, Mike. Um, what What's his... What's his name here? Um, Gerard is the, the last name. I don't know if we get his first name. Because Michael is his middle name. Philip Michael Gerard. Yes. So, yeah. It, it's not clear what we should be referring to him by right now, but Regardless, um, so we can the, say Gerard. Yeah, Gerard. That's what they say the most throughout the episode. Yeah, so they they break into his hotel. <laughs> um, Andy accidentally shoots off his gun during the thing, which makes it seem like much scarier than it actually is. They kind of like shake him down and don't really get much, except that his best friend is a vet named Bob Lidecker, and Cooper is like, "Well, we have to go." to the Lidecker vet and um, see if um, uh, uh, see see what connections we can make. Yeah. Also, they uh, ask him if he had a tattoo on his arm. Yes. Because of Cooper's dream. And he's, he uh, find, at first he's like kind of in, in a way that makes sense like why are you asking me all these questions yes. like these are like weird intrusive questions it's one of the- and then says it was mom and and breaks down crying but in a way where uh just knowing that this man is a fantastic actor uh-huh uh feels fake in a way that might be intentional yeah 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 and it's like only a thing that you can know if you've like i've seen mike throughout the rest of the show I think this actor is just fucking incredible. And like the, the sort of like he is getting himself to cry here is not as convincing as maybe I think he's capable of. Yeah. Al Strobel is the actor. Al Strobel. Um, the, um, the, the, um, it's also interesting because I think if you're Cooper or Truman here, you're like, why are you dodging our questions? Obviously, you're trying to hide something. That's like the policeman's perspective. Whereas if you're if you're Gerard, you're just like, why are the cops busting was, down my door? I was literally just like changing. I was I just got out of the shower. 
It's like eight in the morning and the, the cops are salesman. kicking down my door. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's just like, I don't want to answer your questions because I don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I, I, you know, I think the Cooper is just like, you don't need to know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, we also get here a, a scene of Catherine and Ben just being sleazy. Ben is like, I'm going to go give little Elvis a bath. Is that his dick? Yeah, and he does has he like call... a little Elvis statue, but also it's like... Does he call his dick little Elvis? <laughs> I think so. I think that's what the implication is here. Is that his dick is little Elvis. Penhorn, you fucking weirdo. You fucking dirty old man, you. <laughs> you fucking dirty middle-aged man, you. I mean, it ain't nothing but a hound dog. <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't really didn't want to give you that one. Um, from here we go back to the high school, or we cut away to the high school. But before we go, um, Hawk is like, "Hey Truman, Josie like left right when we got here, basically." Yeah. Um, so we cut to the high school bathroom, Audrey and um, I want to call her Diane. That's not her name. What's your name? Sherilyn mm-hmm. Fenn. No, not Sherilyn Fenn. Wait, Audrey? Audrey and... The fuck is Donna. 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 What the fuck is going on Donna. with our brains? <laughs> I had Diane and I couldn't shake it. Audrey and Donna are smoking in the uh, bathroom. Well, Donna's doing lipstick and Donna Audrey's is. Smoking. I don't think Donna would be opposed to smoking in the bathroom. Yeah. Um. I Okay, I think Donna wouldn't smoke in the bathroom with Audrey... But if Laura was like, hey, you want to have a smoke in the bathroom, Donna would absolutely do it. I'm trying to remember the exact arc of that. I feel like there's a part where, where Donna has a turn that people mark remark on. Yeah, you might be right. And she might not be there yet. Yeah. So um, There is a Donna who would smoke. Yes, for sure. But I don't know if that's happened yet. So Audrey is basically like, hey, I want... I'm, I'm hot for Cooper. <laughs> so I want you to help me investigate... Laura's death because I'm trying to impress an older man right now. <laughs> and Donna's like, yeah, okay. And then Audrey reveals that she has some stuff figured out that is. Yeah. And that's what interests Donna is not. I'm going to help you uh, try to have sex with an old FBI. I mean, he's not that old, but like for, for a high schooler, he is. Yeah. She, she doesn't care about that part, but then uh, Audrey is like, Oh, well, I know that, um, I know that, um, Laura was one of Jacoby's patients and Donna is like, Laura was one of Jacoby's patients. Okay, now yeah. we have, you know. And I know that her and Renette Pulaski both worked at my father's uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, department, and store. department store and that this is connected to One-Eyed Jacks. Yeah. Yeah. And so Donna's like, okay, we can work together on this. Yeah. Um, from there, this is, so for, for the first little bit we discussed, we get like more mystery stuff. From here, we get more like, a little bit of the mystery and a little bit of the soap opera, you know? Yeah. Um, Norma goes to Hank's parole hearing, um, and he, like, says some kind of threatening stuff. You and I both love Hank, and so we're just like, oh, there's the man. But he's not really, like, our man yet, you know? He's just kind of yeah. a goofy... He's going to uh, bizarrely suck on a domino yeah. later in this episode, but... Um... Yeah. <laughs> um. He's not at peak weirdo crime guy yet. <laughs> um, 
not too much to say about the parole hearing itself, um, other than he does a really good job of like turning on like the the waterworks. You know, I think yeah. that actor does a good job there. Um, <clears throat> also, we'll find out later that uh, Norma has talked to um, Shelley about wanting yes. to get a divorce, but said at the hearing, like, "Yes, I'll stand by my man." Stand by me. <laughs> um, and then she gets the phone call uh, that's like he's being released and then uh-huh. tells Shelly and Shelly's like, well, like, you're going to get a divorce, right? And then it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, music starts up. Yeah. We all have that one homie who Milia Motif <laughs> is constantly playing. Um, So from here we get the, the officers go to the uh, Lidecker, um, Vet's office, Lidecker is not in because he's been in a coma for a few days, was a thing that was established earlier. Yeah. Um, By the way, the name here, Lidecker, coming from the 1944 movie uh, Laura, uh, the character in that is Waldo Lidecker. We are, oh. going to get Lo- we are going to get Waldo connected here to, to Lidecker, but as a different character. Okay, I forgot It's the that. bird. You were pointing it, it out to me, and I'm like, yeah, it was established in the last scene. Lidecker <clears throat> is the name of the vet. I don't know why you're pointing at mm. Lidecker right now. Waldo Lidecker. Yes, yes. The bird and the man. You're absolutely the... right. So, um... I still, I'm just going to say it here. Uh, I have this pet theory that Andy and Lucy named their son after the bird Waldo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's canonical and true. Mm-hmm. Um... So, um, <laughs> this, we've, we've kind of talked about why this scene matters. At the end of the scene, um, Cooper is going to get a bunch of files, um, from the vet's office that they're going to use to investigate the bird. And I think it's here that, um, Cooper says, um, what's going to be like, what is now going to, to ignite like decades of fan speculation, which is that like, if two coincidences like happen, we must pay very close attention or something with something like that. It's like, yeah, basically he, he explains circumstantial simultaneity from Homestuck uh, here, which, uh, (sighs) more people watch the pilot of twin peaks. The first time it aired on TV than have ever read Homestuck. But (laughs) tell me about Homestuck. I I, I don't actually have, I, I do not care that much about Homestuck. I have just been listening to Homestuck Made This World because it, I enjoy the podcast. Um, and Hussey does a thing where things will repeat themselves constantly. Like, you'll see this character go through this sort of pattern and then this other character will repeat it. And he introduces this term, circumstantial simultaneity, which is just like, oh, when you... Basically, oh, when you see patterns like that in Homestuck, it means something. Which, like, yeah, no shit it does. That's what stories do. That's the thing I've really enjoyed about Homestuck Made This World is that they, like, take, like, Hussey as, like, oh, circumstantial simultaneity. I've come up with this new, cool, interesting idea. And they're like, well, you've just invented, like, what all fiction is forever. And um, it was very funny to hear. I And I wish I could remember exactly what Cooper says. Basically, what Cooper says here is exactly like what Hussey is going to think that they invent 20 years later. <laughs> it's just funny, is all. 
I, I started talking about a podcast I enjoy listening to, and you just totally shut off, so we're just going to move on to Shelly and Bobby fucking. Yeah, they do do that. That dynamic's really hot in this scene. Yeah. She pulls out the gun. Yeah. That's hot. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby's a moron. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> anyway. Also, Bobby... We get some about Leo and Jacques and... Also, Bobby gets mad about uh, Laura seeing James behind his back while he was seeing Shelly behind her back. And it's like a deliberate irony thing. Yeah. Like, obviously, um, this this episode has a lot of, like, guys, get your shit together a little bit of just, like, Shelly's with Bobby, who's no good. Shelly's with Leo, who's no good. Norma is with Hank, who's no good. Um... We're going to get the boys' night scene where men are just like, women can't live with them, can't live without them. And it's going to be like, guys, yeah. fucking get over yourselves. You uh, know? They're, they're drawn from a different blueprint. Uh-huh. Um, I found renovations are fairly easy to make. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about Shelly's like... <laughs> Half finished home for a minute, and then I realized you were making a trans joke. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a tranny. <laughs> anyway, so the next scene is boys' night, which we have we have talked about so much now. So Cooper is like, Andy, we're investigating a murder. Anything could happen. I want you and everybody here to be like ready to like use your gun if you need to. And so they they go down to the firing range and they. They talk about women. They talk about, Cooper, were you ever married? And Cooper's like, mm. I was with this woman and taught me about responsibility and taught me about heartbreak. And, you know, yeah. um, uh, Hawk gives his little, like, his, like, native mysticism poem thing that he then is like, I wrote that for a chick one time, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then we get the line you just said about the... Um, Oh, women are just drawn from a different cosmic blueprint, man. Yeah, because cause, uh, Andy learning that Cooper has this magical power to understand that people are in relationships is hoping that Cooper will be able to explain why why is Lucy acting like this and being like weird and not wanting to talk to me about stuff and awkward it, and stuff. And to that, Cooper is like, women, man. Yeah. I can tell when people are fucking, but I can't understand women. Um, and they're they're doing all this while while they're firing guns, and Cooper's like, "Ooh, hawk, six for six, good good work." And you know, Cooper like puts like two bullets in the same spot, and so it looks like he well, yeah, it's it's two in each eye, yeah, and then one in each nostril, and so it looks like he only hit four times, uh, but he actually hit all six, yeah, um, and like perfectly in the face. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's like a very deliberate like machismo to this scene that I think is like, you know, getting back to like critical of Cooper, like, you know, I think if maybe they had a little more like sympathy for like the the young woman who was like murdered, um, if I, just for example, let's say. Cooper spoke to Sarah Palmer one time in his fucking life, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe if we didn't treat like women as this unknowable thing, 
maybe we could get a little farther on this murder investigation than trying to find the name of a fucking bird in a f- like hundreds and hundreds of files of names of other fucking llamas and shit. <laughs> the shot of the llama just staring at him and him staring back. Yeah. So good. So good. <laughs> I love this show. <laughs> There's just a llama in this vet's office, and it's going to walk right between Cooper and Truman while they're standing. And, and stare right at, at Cooper. No. <laughs> Cooper and... There's just like a pause. It's so good. Cooper and Truman standing homosexually close to each other, and then on this llama just interjects. Yeah. This having, tr- this, having to scooch back slightly to let the llama through. Um. And the llama looks at Cooper being like, I know you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I guess, you know, kind of all this talks ties into like the sort of like bitterness that, uh, of Leland in that first scene, you know, of like, ah, women and they're stupid. Like she's just having feelings, her visions, you know, the dismissiveness. I think you could definitely read as a like gendered dismissiveness, you know? Yeah. Um, Anyway, um, what? There's Once the diner can... phone call. Diner phone call we talked about. Uh, yeah. Donna is like, hey, James, uh, you should come over to my place in the next episode um, to talk about mystery stuff. And then James meets Maddie. Yeah. And Maddie and is like, oh, I grew up coming to Twin Peaks sometimes. And Laura would, and I would pretend yeah. we were sisters. We look similar. We pretend we were sisters. and. Yeah. James is, like, struck by how much she looks like Laura, basically. This but is, like, been, kind of in, like, a speechless way. This is setting up so much future soap opera stuff, but it's kind of mm-hmm. unremarkable here. Other than, I just love Cheryl Lee. And I. <laughs> um, we get, Ben is uh, going to bring in some oh, yeah, Icelanders. Some Icelanders are going to come in. Yeah. yeah. Um, Looking forward to that. Audrey. We have uh, what could be read as a genuine moment between the horns, except that you know Audrey's just scheming. She's just yep. being a little weirdo schemer. Like father, like daughter. Yep. Um, and so she she wants to work at the cosmetic store, the cosmetic department. Yeah. She's got her machinations to try and figure out. And this is all going to lead up to the finale. Yep. You know. Cut back to... Um... The sheriff's department. Andy finds um, Waldo. Uh, Waldo, a minor bird, a minor bird owned by Jacques Renault. Um, which Jacques Renault, a bird. There's a connection. We must investigate it. Oh, sorry. I thought you were saying Renault was a type of bird, or as Andy says, Renault. Yeah. <laughs> no, Cooper. I think he said it before, but then points out again, oh, we've got this, like, recurrence of events or whatever. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, they go They go to Jacques Renault's apartment. There's so fucking much in this summary. Oh, my God. Anyway. Yeah. They go to Jacques Renault's apartment. Um, they don't find him. Bobby was in there and runs. They yeah. don't see Bobby. Letting a cat in. It's Lem. Everyone claps and cheers for Lem, the podcasting cat. Um, from here, we cut to the last scene that actually matters, I feel like, which is um, 
Ben Horn meets up with Leo Johnson, and Ben gives uh, Leo the job. In three days, you need to burn down the mill. At the end of season one, you need to burn down this mill. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, like, implies that Hank used to be involved in Ben's criminal operation, but now he's not. Or maybe he's going to be again once he's out on parole. Who knows? Um, we know, but I forget how exactly the details of this play out. Yeah. Also, Leo killed Bernie Renault, who we saw in the last episode, the one that the Bookhouse boys were interrogating. Yeah, James and Donna. Uh, so Donna, I think, was there when... when um... Donna was there during the police sketching in the first scene. Yes, and so she knows about this other vision of the the necklace being removed, and so they go to where it was buried, and they find that it's missing. Uh huh. Um, and they're like, somebody may have seen us and followed us. This this um, mystery is so hot. Let's fuck right now. Yeah. They they it, they make out in the woods, but those two definitely fuck here, right? Yeah. Um. Um. And then uh, Harry calls Josie, asks uh, if she was at the motel and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Pete comes in and they talk about fishing and yeah. stuff. It's just a little... Hats off to Jack Nance. Hats off to Jack Nance. Uh, last little bit is we see um, Hank sent the um, letter with the very detailed sketch of the domino to threaten Josie. Because... Yeah, well, then, like, licking and sucking on the domino. Well, licking and sucking on the domino. And he calls. He's like, you got my note, right? Or whatever. No, he he would call Norma earlier when he was licking and sucking the domino. <laughs> He's such a fucking weirdo. <laughs> Um, if we do these two at a time, we need to come up with a quicker way to get through these summaries, but that can be a problem for after the recording. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we can do a little bit because we did the ones where we would just kind of say, oh, what's, what's this character up to? And then maybe we cover yeah, some of that stuff. That and I feel like better. that went a little bit faster. Yeah, maybe. Because also we can kind of, eh, some stuff we can just not talk about. Yeah. Makes sense. Anyway, Hi, I feel Ollie. like we've gotten out most of, that's Ollie. That's Ollie. That is Ollie. I just assumed it was Lim. So I think Ollie came in, too. I, I just assumed it was Lem, but you're right. It was Lem, and Lem had some weird shit in his fur. I mean, I don't think it was actual shit, but, like, I pet his back, and there's, like, a little crusty, and I don't know what it is. So I'm going to investigate that soon. But do you have any final comments on this episode? No, I got everything out already. Yeah, we talked through it. I had a weird thought in this episode of, oh, is, is Maddie a tulpa of... Uh, uh, Laura, that's a stupid idea. It just crossed my mind. Yeah. Of like, I I guess I was watching the return and thinking about how weird and sad it is that Maddie never gets brought up again. You know, and then I was like, oh, that would make sense if Maddie like wasn't like a real person. She was just like a constructed like by the Black Lodge for some strange purpose and given a fake history. I I had that thought in my head, and then I'm like, that's too much of a like science fiction-y lore explanation for, like, the things I enjoy about Twin Peaks. Yeah. So I just quickly discarded that thought after I had it. <laughs> uh, and then I thought of it again because the popular pages on Twin Peaks Wiki in involves Tulpa. Tulpa, yeah. I bet if you click that, I bet if you... Can you just control F, Maddie or Madeline or whatever? Just see. Okay. 
I mean, someone else on the internet has had this fan theory and really explained why it's definitely true. I don't, I, I don't think it's true. It was just a thought that crossed my mind. Yeah. Let's get out of here. Let's do plugs. Okay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and co-host at FoxMomnia. Maybe by the time you're hearing this, you can't find me on Twitter anymore. But who knows? This is such a weird one because I think most social media accounts, they don't have this like threat that something could crash and they can't get it back up. Yeah. In the way that they're just, news reports are saying that. And that's just bizarre. But anyway, uh, FoxMomnia. You can find me on Annulist at FoxMomnia. You can find me on Letterboxd at FoxMomnia. Uh, most places, you can just type in that username, see if you can find me. Uh, except Mastodon, because instances and federation, and it's stupid. We talked about this on Export why... today. We, yeah. We're skeptical philosophically of, like, Mastodon as a, like, project. You yeah. Know? Um, me? What else? Oh, I, I will just say, listen to my other podcasts. Ghost Divers is anime. Uh, Pondering Putan is... Bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah, me and Connor hanging out, basically. It's a hangout podcast. It's a comedy podcast, but in a very hangout way. It's ostensibly a Cromartie High School podcast. Um, and go listen to Around the Long Fire. Although, I mean, this is a good time to catch up because... You can probably read all of Losunga Saga in like a, a an afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a long saga. Um, and then listen to the episodes and then have time to also read the next saga, which we're doing. Uh, it's like 25 pages. So you can read it and then listen to the, the next episode, which will be in two weeks from the the last one. So, um, because we're taking a break for uh, M to be able to record and edit. Uh, abnormal mapping. You can go to cohost.org slash autumnal and my pinned post there right now is a weekly roundup of all I'm going to start doing these going forward. A weekly roundup of all the podcasts that went out on the Export Audio Network this past week. So all the stuff that I'm on. Cats are, cats are clawing a lot and I would appreciate if they clawed less. Clem is biting. If you <laughs> if you go to cohost.org slash autumnal, I've got a pinned post. There's a big weekly roundup that I'm going to start doing every week of all the shows that went out. Um, links to everybody's work. Um, that is going to be the easiest place I to find everything. And I was trying to be... Did my best in that job to make clear, like, here's what the $1 patrons get. Here's what the $5 patrons get. But in case you've forgotten... $1 patrons get early access to this show, to Puton, to Hot Singles, and to um, Gotham. Gotham City Limits. And $5 patrons get access to Pop Town Funk and a bonus episode of Coffee and Comic Books every week. The first bonus episode of Coffee and Comic Books will come out on Thanksgiving, and I'm in a great deal of pain right now, Lem. Thank you. Um... <laughs> Uh, th- this plug section is flying off the rails. Thank God I did that uh, roundup post and people can just go look at that because uh, we need to get out of here. These cats are being awful. <laughs> yeah. I'm having to hold Ollie like a baby so that he doesn't keep clawing me. I'm he, rocking him. He does love being held like a baby. You know, let me see if I can shelf them. Nope, now he's just running away from me. So Ollie always wants to be held on his back like a baby, and Lem always wants to, like, lay on his stomach on your arm, Mm -hmm. like, perched. 
like a, you know, on a shelf or something. Okakoro so. is real. Okakoro is real. Two more times the flower 
Why are we not recording this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I started to, to give the listeners some context. We were talking about Tekken because of yes. Pop Town today. Uh, so like my very first fighting game, I think, at least like the one that I remember playing a lot, was uh, there was a pizzeria mm-hmm. that we would go to that was like a little bit of a drive, but we, we would go there frequently. Like it was like the one that was like out of town that we would go to the most. There's a very nice pizzeria, and I don't remember what it's called anymore though. Mm. <clears throat> um, but they had a they had a few arcade cabinets there because this was back in the day where like restaurants would just have arcade cabinets because I was a little kid um, and I played a lot of uh, Soul Edge slash Soul Blade. Okay. Um, I think Soul I think Soul Blade is the PlayStation, and that Soul Edge right. is the. I, arcade but it's basically the same I, that sounds right to me yeah um and so because of that i also then got into I, tekken 2 is the one that i played the most of but i also played some tekken 3 but like if i go to look at like tekken 2 here this is just like the these are the characters that i just am most familiar with um so i i mostly played um man you can tell that this was early me because i was not uh kunimitsu that would just be such a me pick now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I played a lot of King. Um, so, King was my my main my main guy. Um, played some Kuma. Mm-hmm. Um, this was back before I like fully had the idea of like mains and stuff because it was just early days of me getting into fighting games. Um, because yeah, I think. Uh, Nina was the the one other character I played some, and then sometimes Yoshimitsu. So, so I, um, I've never been a Tekken person. I I have some fighting game experience. We could talk about that in a second if we want. But my main Tekken memories are not so much about playing Tekken as much as like I'm at an arcade for any given reason, whether it's me and my friends are going to the arcade or I remember um, there was a time where my where my mom and stepdad were in Vegas gambling and I was too young to go onto the floor with them. And so I was at an arcade upstairs, which is just yeah. a different type of gambling <laughs> where you're not ever going to get any money back. Um, but anyway, um, just, so, so my memories are like a weird mishmash, but I mostly remember Tekken Tag Tournament because I feel like that machine was very popular for a very long time. Yeah. You know, Th- this, this though is interesting. So Tekken 1 and 2 are on, um, Namco System 11 arcade board and released on the PlayStation 1. Tekken 3 is on Namco System 12 and on the PS1, but then Tekken Tag Tournament same arcade board, but makes the jump on the home release to PS2. Yeah, that happens sometimes. And my general impression culturally is that after Tekken Tag Tournament, a lot of people fall off for the rest of the PS2 era. And then it feels like people got back in with either Tekken Tag Tournament 2, um, which is like after... You know, because generally I feel like most people were not into like fighting games in that era... And then Tekken Tag Tournament 2 is, like, after Street Fighter 4 blows up in a huge way. UMVC 3 pl- mm. blows up in a huge way. And then Tekken 7 is fully in the, like... Tekken 7 is a huge game still because it yeah. is fully in the, like, modern-day, 
like revival of fighting games, DLC is, can make things just supported forever um, in a way that, you know, Capcom try Capcom basically inventing their own version of DLC back in the day with like Super Turbo and Hyper Fighting and all that yeah. shit, you know? <laughs> um, or, or, or SNK doing that with just a new release of King of Fighters every single year, you know? Yeah, yeah since my first fighting game really... I think was uh, like Soul Edge and then Soul Blade. We uh-huh. got the the PlayStation version because uh, we play it so much. At yeah, that pizzeria. Um, because of that, I kind of followed the Soul Calibur series. But like, as I started getting getting more into fighting games, I was never like focusing on how to get good at like three D fighters. Uh-huh. It just was not what they were for me. Yeah. It was just like it was more of just like a hangout and chill and goof around, and I I really appreciated that like Soul Calibur just maintained the like the ring outs, which is a thing that I mean it takes skill to to like consistently get sometimes, but it's also such a like cheese yeah move. of like it, even if I'm on the ropes I can still get a ring out maybe yeah you know. Yeah, but it, in my mind, it's more situated with, like, not to, to the full extent, but a little bit more like a Smash Bros thing. Mm-hmm. Although Smash Bros for me is just fully non-competitive. I was never playing Smash Bros with anybody to win. So so here's my my history of fighting games, and I think this is influenced by the fact that I didn't have siblings, right? Mm. Is that... Yeah, I was the youngest of five, so I think that influenced to some degree. So, like... One, I didn't have siblings, so I didn't have other people to play fighting games with, necessarily. I had a lot of friends who we would do sleepovers with. (coughs) So a lot of my earliest memories of fighting games are, I rented MVC2, and this weekend we're all going to have a sleepover at so-and-so's house and play the shit out of MVC2. But, like, we're all sort of on an equal playing field, you know, of just, like, we're 10-year-olds just pressing buttons and seeing what lasers come out, you know? Yeah. Um, and then the one thing I really stuck with for a long time was Melee. That was like the perennial, I was always playing Melee. Everybody around me was always playing Melee. And so as I got a little older and started to realize, oh, some people play this competitively. I hit a weird thing where I, I get to, to college and I'm like, I know people who play this in a competitive manner. I would like to play with them, but I don't have a competitive bone in my body, partially because I'm an only child. I just yeah. don't, I, I don't have a competitive bone in my body. And even when I, even when I feel competitive, even when I feel like oh, I want to beat this motherfucker, I don't, I've never had like the, the mindset of, oh, I lost that match because I'm spamming this move too much. I need to be thinking about what I'm going to do when the other guy does this attack or whatever. I'm I every time I pick up a fighting game, I'm just kind of pressing buttons. But I've played so many different fighting games just a little bit that I have a real appreciation for I can watch other people play fighting games. I can watch Evo and like get just enough of like, oh, they're doing like some spacing stuff right now and he's trying to get an opening. Like I can watch other people and and pull that apart a little bit but when the controller is in my hand i'm like uh jab jab jab, uh uh special i guess yeah (laughs) you know it just doesn't translate for me at all um (sighs) but yeah part of me wonders too if like my approach to 3d like my brothers all played 3d fighting Uh that was like what was pop 
that was was that and uh the um oh what's the car fighting twisted metal yeah we played so much twisted metal um because yeah. that was also one where we had the the thing for uh playstation where you could get four controllers where you could get the four controllers and then yeah, yeah. um and so then we could just like you could all play yeah um so yeah we did a lot of that but uh and so when i started getting more into fighting games it was like through having other friends who were doing some more in like the competitive space, but more of that was around 2d stuff. Um, and I also just found like, I always found that easier to grok or something. Mm -hmm. Um, so then it was like, like I, the, the, the games that I still have the most respect for, I cannot play them. Well, like I am not a technical enough of a player Uh to do the, these games like, well in the way that high level play is done uh-huh. but the like snk games like art of fighting feel yeah. fury uh king of fighters like all that stuff my favorite to watch oh absolutely and they're they're the least like showboaty when you watch yeah. them but if you know like what it takes to play those games and everything they're just incredible to watch and it's like so technical there's there the screen is not busy in the way that the games that i was got really good at were like anime fighters so so Nora and I had like a week. We got really into fighting games a little bit last year and we had it in our heads like we want to get good at fighting games and we could The two of us are both like we're going to jump from hobby to hobby to hobby to hobby too much to like ever I think really spend the time to like get good at a fighter, you know? Yeah. But when we were in a big fighting game phase last year, I remember Nora and I picking up grow mark of the wolves that's, um, a, that's a fun ass game and so we played I mean, it's it hard but it's hard it's yeah. hard and we played it and we were just starting to get a hand just enough to sort of get a handle on like okay this character does this and he wants to get in close but this character does that and she wants to stay far away that sort of thing you yeah know? and then we go or at least i did i don't remember if Nora did this with me I went and watched, like, high-level Garou play, and I was like, holy shit. I'm glad that I played, like, four hours of this game to get, like, my feet under me just so that I could watch how sick it is when people get, like, really high-level. Because it's not flashy like a Marvel vs. Capcom, you know? But despite that, it is so fucking cool. (laughs) Um... Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really fun one. Yeah. I enjoy Guru. But yeah, I got more into anime fighters. Um, MVC was like really big uh-huh. in a way where I couldn't really compete in it. Yeah. Um, and part of part of it was like, there are some that I wanted to be good at. And so I would also pick and choose the ones that, um, in particular, like some players would scoff at. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'd be like, oh, I'm going to zero in on that. Yeah. Because that's like a place where I can, I know that I can do well. Because I'm not going to have some of these people who are like, who have the extreme, like, get good mentality, who are going to then scoff at, like, Arcana Heart because it's a bunch of girls, or, like, the Persona Arena game because it's, like, a JRPG game. I did. And so those, like, Arcana Heart and Persona were the ones that I probably got the best at. I had a similar impulse that led me in a different direction, kind of, which is, like, when I was really hanging out with people who were, like, doing money matches in Melee. Like, people who were serious about Melee in a way that was, like, 
kind of killed my love of that game for a couple of years. It's yeah. back now. I watch people play high level melee and I totally still love it. I still love the newest Smash Bros. Uh, I love I love all those games and watching those games. But it I hung around people who really killed it for me for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and one of the ways that I found my fun um, when I was hanging around those sorts of people is it's like, okay, well, you you're playing Fox and Marth again. Um, I'm gonna play Bowser. Everybody says that Bowser is an F tier character. I'm just gonna get like. Not good at Bowser, but I'm going to find, like, three things I can do with Bowser that fucking annoy you. And so yeah. even if I lose, I'm going to find my, like, way to have fun in this, you yeah. know? Which I, which I think is, like, a similar impulse, um, but just applied differently, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, I also pulled up, uh, do you know uh, Jackie Chan in Fist of Fire? I do not know this. So, uh, I think there's been, like, two Jackie Chan fighting games. But this is the one that I played a decent amount at and got uh, fairly good at. It's a it's a broken game. Mm-hmm. It's broken. But, uh, so, we're looking at the, the cast of characters here. I just wanted to pull this up. Uh, so, how many Jackie Chans do you see here? Um, okay. So, Lau, not a Jackie Chan. Young, definitely not a Jackie Chan. Thorsten, not a Jackie Chan. Drunken Fist Jackie, that's Jackie. Spiritual Kung Fu Jackie, that's a Jackie. Admiral Jackie, that's a Jackie. Sam, not a Jackie, but this is a blurry photo, and if you told me, oh, actually, Sam is a no, Jackie. That's not, that's not Jackie, Sam. <laughs> Kim Marie, not a Jackie. Mysterious Lion, that could be Jackie under there. That's Jackie under there. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, because you started up, and you're like, there are three Jackie Chans, and then uh, there's like, it doesn't occur, I think, that often, but I think it's like a win animation for Mysterious Lion, and he takes off the head, and it's just Jackie Chan, and it's so funny to me every time it happens. <laughs> um, um, this, this reminds me, um, I should plug... Um, so my friend Curly, uh, uh, of newbie does slash did a podcast on the abnormal mapping network called hand to hand, heart to heart. Um, our, our hearts go out to Curly right now, who is like spent the last stretch of time finishing up a PhD. And so has been like totally out of the podcast game. Um, they've been like very busy doing, you know, important things and not not podcasting um you saying what we do is not important <laughs> but um i really hope that when they do finish up that phd um they're able to come back to, at the very least to hand to hand heart to heart that's also co-hosted by um Amr, who does um cannon fire c-a-n-o-n um you can find them at cigarettes on twitter um and the two of them it's actually pronounced Theodoros. <laughs> the the two of them, I I think, did a really good job. It was kind of like a abnormal mapping for fighting games, where they would be like, "All right, let's talk about like we both spent this month playing Killer Instinct. Let's talk about it." Um, but I think they also did a really good job of bringing in, even if it was just to a smaller extent, quote unquote, like Kasoge games, like you know. Your your Sailor Moons, your your Power Rangers, the the shit games, um, that like I thought they did a good job of finding a joy in fighting games that is not about always getting better, always playing the S tier characters, yeah. always like you know 
there's a there's a joy in competition that is not necessarily always being at your max competitiveness, you know? Yeah. Um and playing playing Street Fighter 5 with Curly is the most fun I've ever had getting better at fighting games because even if I don't think I actually improved much while playing, um, I think by playing with Curly, um, they were really able to help me see the joy of of the game and how I could get better if I really like put my nose to the grindstone. I just didn't like I didn't have it in me to do that, you know. Yeah. Um, and I I don't think that was like I never felt like ashamed of myself that I didn't want to put my nose to the grindstone in Street Fighter V like that, you know? Yeah. When I played with Curly anyway. Um, yeah, no. Bad pe- playing with bad people who care too much about getting good. Yeah. Like, there's a certain level to which it's like, oh, I want to improve my game and stuff. But yeah. there are people who, like, winning is everything. Like, you just... Like, everyone needs to approach games in this, like, extremely get good mentality. Like, every person who plays this game should be playing it this way and stuff that's just, like, toxic and makes it unfun. Yeah. Um, and it's good to, like, to to play with someone who's just, like, knows how to play the game, is maybe not the best, but it is, like, focused on improving and can, can play with you and can, like also explain to you about things i think i think sometimes people who have like the extreme like everyone should be focused on getting good mentality is like well i'm not going to tell you how to beat me right because that's not me getting good that's not right. me getting better right you just need to figure out how to get good everyone I, else needs to think figure out for themselves how to get good rather than it being like oh so when i do this attack like you should be doing this uh-huh right and that's a thing that like you have to have a certain mentality towards like no like i want to improve but i also want to like have fun playing this game with people and so i'm going to tell people how to counter me right so if i so in the real world if i want to start going to the gym my goal in going to the gym is not i want to look like arnold schwarzenegger tomorrow my yeah. goal is Hey, right now I can lift this much and I would like to lift 10 pounds more because I would like to be a little stronger or I'd like to run 10 minutes more because I feel myself getting winded. Like when you go to the gym to exercise, ideally, I'm sure there are people who don't do this, but ideally what you're doing is you're saying, here's where I'm at. Here's where I'd like to get to because... I can only compare myself to me if I compare there there are like there there are professional athletes out there who will just always be better at this than I can be. So why am I comparing myself to them? But but there's a strain within the FGC that's not that it's not everyone should just be here to try and get a little bit better at their game. That's Uh like part of the joy of it is learning how to to learning the game better is figuring out more counters. The stuff that you didn't know is getting a little bit better at like reading your other player and stuff like that. Like, but just like personally, just feeling like you're improving in the game. There's a certain mentality. that's like, everyone should be, I want to be winning tournaments and getting first place. Every single person should be striving for that. And if you're not, you are failing. There's... Even though we exist in a system in which only one person is going to win this tournament, but everybody else sucks. Because the... they didn't beat Justin Lin or whatever. Yeah, because, because like... <laughs> Justin Lin. I knew who you That's... meant. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, but like, so... I have Fast and the Furious on my brain because of that Twitter thread. 
For people who don't know, um, we be watching Tokyo Drift right now. We could be watching Tokyo Drift. Um, for people who don't know, um, if you go to at Head Falls Off on Twitter, they retweeted today as we were recording this, which is like three days ago. Oh, you as go you're listening from, to this. You go from Nietzsche Joe. <laughs> you go from Nietzsche Joe. Retweeted. Um, somebody did a like fifty tweet thread that's just all of Tokyo Drift in two minute chunks, and it's fucking yeah. incredible. Anyway, um. Because the FGC, so so, in sports, I watch the NBA, you know, and I'm like, guys who play in the NBA are better than I will ever be because I simply am never going to be seven feet tall. <laughs> I am simply never going to have this cardio. Yeah. That will not happen. Yeah. There, there are tears to this. <laughs> I simply... Where, at the level that I am right now, would not be able to beat the eight-year-olds who will be able to become the next NBA player. Yes, <laughs> because that's the other thing, is that I'm 26, and the guys who I'm watching in the NBA are 22. Yeah, and could have beaten me when they were like 10. And probably. the 36-year-olds who are still somehow in the NBA at the tail ends of their career, those guys could also whip my ass, even the ones who are quote-unquote washed up. Yeah. Those guys could whoop my ass. Whereas, I think because fighting games, there's not that like, you know, like more physical component to it. There is a physical component to it, but there is a less perceived physical component to it so that everybody who picks up a controller today can say to themselves in their heart, well, maybe if I do this for five years, if I if I did this for eight hours a day for the next five years, maybe I could go 0-2 with Daigo and it would be really close, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you can tell yourself that. Um, in a way that you just, you cannot do with, like, baseball. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just looking at, like, so this is from 13, uh, years ago. This would probably have been closer to when I was playing. Um, Heart's A+. I played a lot of Heart. Um, who's Akane? That's not gonna get me what I want. <laughs> um. Akane you? Yeah, let me do the Arcana Heart characters. Let me just look because I know I played Heart some. Um, she's great. Um, Google like Arcana Heart character select and just go to um, images. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, because well, they're not going to give me the names, which is oh part yeah. Of what I want, but um, Vice. oh that's Vaishni. Yeah. <laughs> basically <laughs> um oh, i'm not gonna i don't want to play this video oh the dog girl i played the dog girl a bunch um, i really want you to click play on this video and then just to hear from the arcana hearts three character select screen i'm gonna take you for a ride konoha <laughs> i played a lot of konoha she was great oh the hidden leaf village yeah yeah let's mute mute this <laughs> no I will not. Okay. I don't think it's actually playing. I think my thing has the wrong. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is sick. Audio selected. Anyway. Um, oh, I played Catherine some, too. She was great. This looks fun. Um, this looks goofy. God, I want to play some Arcana Heart now. 
I liked Arcana High a lot. There's definitely like anyway, I looked it up and I think this is a more recent tier list. Because I feel like Chia used to be higher on the tier list for um mm-hmm. Persona 4 Arena, but like I like pretty much exclusively played Chia because mm. back in that day I was Chia with a beard, it was like my whole Twitter icon thing and stuff. And you were uh, unexamined, like, yeah. unexamined exactly Cis- what was going on there. Cisgender Chie with a beard. And then I came <laughs> out in the FGC community being like, Chie with a beard was like a recurring thing that was like an ad- identifier for me. Uh-huh. And then people were like, oh, you're trans? And I'm like, I, I do think I signaled it a little bit. <laughs> I do think we could have seen this coming, maybe. I do think that, like, at multiple tournaments where I did pretty well with Chie, I, and people asked me, you know, what's going on, I did say, well, I am just literally Chie, but with a beard. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, looking at the tier list, because I, I don't think Yusuke used to be that highly ranked in the tier list, but he was like, um, or Yosuke, uh, he was like two Sosuke Bosuke. But um, it did give me the sense memory of, I went to, um, oh, what is it called? It's been forever since I've gone. There's this, there's this big, uh, like, convention, basically, in Wisconsin that's, like, all old games. It's pretty cool. Hmm. Like, you go, there's a whole section where you can go and, like, various vendors who sell, like, used games will have stuff there so you can look through there. But there's just sections where, like, this is where I've just played, like, with all kinds of controllers and systems. Like, uh, there was that abnormal mapping where they were going through controller aesthetics, and I was like, I think I've played most of these before, because people who have them in good condition will bring them so that you can, like, play a game on it or something. It's, like, part of it. Um, It's a pretty fun event. Um, I was actually listening to that abnormal mapping, being like, it would be fun to go there with M and just, like, bum around and play a bunch of games. Yeah, like a bunch totally. of old games. Because it's just cool to see all the old hardware and, like, actually play stuff on the old hardware mm-hmm. in a way that you just never will. But anyway, um, I was at that. I need to... I'll see if I can figure out the name after I'm done telling the story. Uh, but I was walking around and there was a, a couple that were cosplaying as Chie and Yosuke. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the guy just kept being like the hugest asshole to his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then I saw that he was playing Persona 4 Arena and he was playing as Yosuke. Uh And so then I walked up and challenged him as Chie and just like completely trounced him. Mostly just because I was very annoyed at how he was treating his girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He was such an asshole though. Should we start the podcast? Yeah, sure. We we can end with that. Let me see if I can figure out the um <sighs> this, is, this is great audio at the end here. Just me typing in Midwest Gaming Classic, MGC. Okay. That sounds um, fun. Um yeah, that's fun. Um Maybe some year when, you know... March 31st. There is not a... Um... Yeah, it's always, like, around my my birthday. Because I remember uh, at one point I managed to sucker Carlos into buying me a, a birthday gift because we were there. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe some year when there's not an ongoing plague and also you do not have, like, a, a young, young, young child, you know? Yeah. Maybe one of these days when you have, like, a 10-year-old who can, like, you know get by with just one parent for a weekend. 
I mean, it's also, like, very easy to drive up for a day. Yeah. Wisconsin's not that far, I guess. Yeah. Um, there's been a couple times when I've gone multiple days, but sometimes I just go one day, because you... Like, unless you're, like, truly hanging out and, like, going to the panels and stuff, like, you can play most of what you want in, like, mm -hmm. a full day there. Yeah. You know? Um... <clears throat> It's cool, though. Especially the last... Oh, one of the coolest things is there's a room where just a bunch of people will bring pinball machines, and a number of them are for sale. Like, if people are selling them, they're just there. Mm. And then, like, they're still there throughout the convention, usually, but then once they're bought at the end of the convention, whoever bought it takes it home. Um, but, you, yeah, you can play so many old pinball machines. And that's also great. It's just great to be in, like, a room full of pinball. Hell yeah. And every time I see Black Knight, that's my favorite pinball table. Well, it showed it to me. Um, so Christine some people voice, show it to me. Some people really, this is not going to give me, it's not going to get what you want. <laughs> um, there are a lot of people who like specifically like, uh, it's like black Knight 2000, I think, or something. Mm. Um, which is one of the first ones that have like a, a bunch of oh, this like electric stuff. But yeah. So, uh, let me show you the, let me see if we can like zoom in on this. Cause part of it is, uh, this is one of the best, uh, I think tables to learn on if you want to learn how to play pinball, um, because so there there's two levels. Can I just get like a good view of the board? I was hoping that that would give me a zoom in. <coughs> um, if people Google Black Knight pinball, you'll you'll be able to find one. But let me like see if I can zoom in on this. Um. So I'm hoping I can like specifically show you what I'm talking about. Uh, or no, it's not Black Knight. I'm like, this is not the table that I want. Uh, Dark Knight, I think, is the table. I want to I make sure I'm getting... No? This is the one. They're showing me some other one. Maybe there's, like, another one that they named. Yeah. Because, yeah, this is the 1980. Yeah. Oh, Black Knight Sword of Rage was released by Stern in 2019. Okay. Um, Let me do, like... Black Knight 1980. Yeah, 1980. And I'll see if I can pull up the field and kind of... Maybe even this will just show. Because it's not super com uh, complicated compared to some of the other ones. Um... Like, I feel like it's, like, busy, but not, like, super busy. And so what happens is, see okay. here? So there's, like, two ramps up here and one here. So there's this upper play field and then this lower play field. Okay. And when you get stuff up here, you have, like, these... So sometimes there's ones that will have upper and lower play fields where it's, like, very easy. Like, you knock stuff up there and it will just kind of bounce around and you can't do too much. But here you have, like, a set of flippers up there as well. Okay. So you can kind of practice, like, you try and get it up there and try and keep it up there and then you get down here. There's also magnet saves on the okay. side. So if you get good at that, you can save before it goes down the drain with a magnet. It'll catch it right here. It's those, like, little green parts above okay. and then instead of it going down into the drain and it will drop down to your flipper and then also it's a one where uh the objective is really clear where up here there's this lock and you want to lock all of the balls up there and once you get i think three locked and then you shoot uh, another one through here 
you then get multi-ball and it releases all the balls and you're just trying to get a bunch of points with it. Mm. And that's like the one objective to get points. Because some pinball tables will have a shit ton of objectives. And this one's like, you have the multiple play fields so that you learn how to use the flippers better over time because you have more opportunities to use them. Mm-hmm. Uh, multi-ball is a big thing in pinball and you get like a good opportunity to practice that. If you get good with the magnet save, you can also like prolong your games with that. Um, and then... It's a very clear objective where there's not a ton of different modes. It's just like you either have your one ball on the field and then it's one mode, or there are many balls on the field and then it's a different mode. And that's it. I love when there's a lot of balls. I know this about you. <laughs> Let's start the podcast. Let's start the podcast. Um, Sorry for taking forever trying to find the Black Knight board because I guess there's some new one. It's it looks fine. bad. It's fine. I enjoyed that. 